Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Unfortunately, on this one, Monty hasn't clued me in. I just don't know. What is the reason why, by the way, Peter comes <laughs> on the first one? Because like, I've noticed you do this sometimes. Why do the NA guests usually come on earlier than the EU guests? Does it, shouldn't it be the other way around? Uh, so, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, LEC runs on Fridays and Saturdays, which means that their day off is Sunday, which means that for LEC guests, we typically have to have it after scrims. Uh, their time. So in order to get okay. everything in in the right uh, order. Now, we could have had Peter on later because we're only doing one guest now yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's his day off because uh, LCS runs on Saturday right. and Sunday. But I'm dumb and forgot that we don't do two guests anymore. So I scheduled them first. So really, there was okay. a logic, but then I made okay. a mistake. <laughs> See, I was worried next. I actually thought, no joke, you were trying to imply when you said they had to, like that it runs and they have the day off. I thought you were implying that they just get so shit-faced that they need until like 10 p.m. local time to put themselves back together enough to be able to come on a short thing. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not that. It's party scrims. Okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, usually usually like you have to wait until the LEC scrims are over. Yeah. And, you know, this is all for you guys because Monday morning is the best time to do it. We get the European viewers. We get the NA viewers. And we can get both guests on the same day which would be very difficult on any other day. Yes. So, and it maximizes yes. the amount of time between when the yes. episode airs and the next set of games. There are many reasons. There are many reasons. But we can, in fact, have the other NA guests on later. Yes. Or we can start earlier. Either way. So, okay, our guest for this one is, of course, Peter Dunn from Evil Geniuses, where he is the head coach. Now, that means this episode will be a lot of hyping up players who within a year, maybe maybe two years max, he will eschew, cast to one side, and then move on to his next project, sink his fangs into them, and support life out of them for good for, you know, a couple of playoff runs or whatever, you know. It, once upon a time, it was uh, whoever the bloody hell that top player was for Mad Lions. No one really remembers. He's gone now. Never to be seen again, it would appear. And obviously, last year, it was contracts. Told you contracts. You wouldn't be getting another contract with that particular team. You're out the fucking daughter. No one's around, mate. Peter, Here's the problem with you, mate. Is I'm a fucking eye for talent, but I tell you what, when you turn that cold shoulder, it must be like that fucking movie, the talented Mr. Ripley. I bet it's like the sun just going off. You're like, oh, oh, the coldness. Oh, where's Peter's love and affection and validation? Oh, I'm now cast out into the wilderness of Academy and ERLs, never to be loved again. Well, uh, I will say, in, in defense of Rome, I that happened after I left Madlands. Um, oh, I think you were on the web to Rome forever. Is he on the webcam <laughs> mic, by the way? It sounds like his mic is on. Am I mistaken? Um, yeah, you might be on the old webcam mic there. There you go. Just it sounds a bit sounds a bit distant. <laughs> As I'm sure Aroma says when he thinks about you and his relationship at this point in his career. Yeah, he definitely can play Carrie's though. Carry my bags to the fucking car, please. Thank you. Okay, right. Okay. Um, there we go. I think we got him on the mic. There we go. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, much better. That, that's better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to talking about it, you know. What is uh let's let, yeah let, let, let's talk about let's talk about uh how we're going to uh get at least a couple of good playoff runs. I I, th I think with this roster we, we, this roster we're gonna get we're gonna get a, a, a good few a good few playoff runs, but they are always going to be playoff runs, and that's yes, it. yes. 
Because this, a jokes aside, this obviously has been a key component of your career. Aside from the period when you were in like the smaller regions, when you've been in the major regions, your teams have been built around players that have come up through the org or have been selected to come. They're not the big, just the big names and the best players on paper. Like people would even say, actually, at this point in your career in EG, in the off season, this is quite a bold off season move by Evil Geniuses. You could go with a lot more established names. In fact, if you look at some of the names who aren't even in LCS, they're some of the literal MVP candidates in the last years that could be playing roles such as mid lane adc etc yeah. i mean jazuke was first team um was first team lcs right uh at the end of last year uh but i i mean to be honest these when i think the risks that are being taken by eg uh, i think north america is generally a more risk averse region than other regions but the risks that are being taken by eg are not the same as the risks that were you know being taken by mad lions or by splice you know these are danny jojo these are players that came up through the org you know i've been coaching jojo i've been his position coach for an entire year um and with danny you know i was working with him for at least four months five months before we even considered right but whereas when you bring kaiser or when you bring a humanoid or something to splice obviously they weren't part of the org so there's a little bit more risk involved there so so i i, I take the point i think it's a fair point Obviously, this episode is going to be, at the beginning at least, talking about these players. Because as we say, like at the end of the day, before you even get into the topic of who the Giorgio player is, that could have been Jizuke, Jens. These are enormous name players who people would expect to be potential champions. So before we do that, right, at your own request, I will say, like, listen, yeah. you can make the request, but I'm not going to pretend. I'm just going to read your words out. Like, <laughs> script writer, and I'm just some peon. I'm not on the LCS, mate. So... Oh, let's talk first, obviously, about the player that made this type of roster possible, which was, of course, Danny from last year. Yeah. Where when he came, yeah, go on there, Monty. Oh, I just I want to talk about Danny first because I want to I want to throw my yeah, theory out there. Yeah, I want to throw my theory out there about what Peter Dunn does when introducing players to teams because I talked about this in the last episode, if you remember, Thorne, about how Jojo Pien was getting a lot of hype. He had a, a lot of diverse picks, but one of the cat one of the characteristics of his play that I thought was really not talked about in all of the, oh my God, look at this guy, big hype, lock-in tournament, doing so well for a rookie, was that he's actually playing a pretty low economy style overall. And it was, you, I saw the same thing last year with Danny, which is as follows. Uh, pretty, pretty decent laning phase a lot of the time, uh, which you can expect from a kind of like a high skill solo queue player. And then what happens is in the mid and late game, the team plays around other players' strengths. Last time it was Jizuke uh, that was receiving a lot of those resources, which also, to be fair, is what Jizuke's play style demands. And you have to be cognizant and savvy about how you're allocating resources with specific players, right? Now, the difference is this time around, so far in lock-in and LCS, we've actually seen a lot of the resources funneled into Danny as if he's taking a larger role in carrying the team. Because remember last year, everybody thinks about the Danny pentakill, but they don't think about the fact that Danny was playing Tristana and taking turret plates for like most games. That was like his fucking job while the support was running around the map, uh, you know, helping Jazuke or Jazuke with solo split pushing. Like Danny was basically taking objectives while other players drew pressure to other sides of the map and took those resources. Now, the way I look at Jojo Pian now is that he is doing effectively the same thing and a lot more resources are being funneled into Danny, which in my mind is an excellent way to introduce players into professional play because the expectation is do what you do well that you've learned from solo queue, which is some nice laning, maybe a pretty diverse champion pool. And then you alleviate that pressure 
by allocating the resources to more veteran players in the team. Is this an accurate assessment of, of how you are playing with these, like when you introduce rookies to teams? I think that's the default. I don't think it's everything, but I think that that's a, that's a you know, w- when you bring in a rookie to the team, they're not going to be the primary shot caller of the team. You know, it's it, there's a hierarchy within a team. Uh, and obviously we have veterans on this team. You know, we have people like Impact, we have people like Inspired, we have people like Vulcan, and they get a, a large say in how the team plays, how the team shot calls, how the team interacts with each other outside of the game. And it's just natural. You know, there's a hierarchy when you're coming in. Uh, and I think it's hard for a rookie to go and shape what that hierarchy and I think, Thorin, that's a very fair shout out because I don't think I've ever been on one of your shows uh, and asked to, to talk about things in a certain order before. Um, but when we, when, we go, when, when we go and talk about Jojo, I think Jojo is not a traditional rookie uh, in the sense of, of what a rookie is. Uh, and I mean, I think Danny is. Uh, and I think that, that that's, it's, it's good to talk mm. about uh, Danny first. Um, d- d- on the Danny point, like Danny is kind of one of these players who you who you will only see coming up like last year, this year, you know, now that League's been out for a decade. You know, Danny's 18 now. He's been playing League of Legends since he was six years old. He was better than me at playing League of Legends since he was about eight years old. He's literally been grinding this game for a decade in the same way that you might see somebody in a conventional sport, you know, an ice hockey player or a football player or a tennis player. You know, they're, they're trained. These things these instincts, these ideas about the game, these mechanics have just been trained from a very, very young age. And he, he has like insane, insane instincts. And that only comes from, from when you have like a huge amount of time invested from a very young age into this game. I mean, that's uh, pretty ridiculous. You could be a rookie, but have been playing the game for like 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it's... yeah, It's, it's, it's a bit different from people in season one, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, you know... I'm, <laughs> I, 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 it's fantastic watching like Gumi Yusi is another one of these, right? Like it's fantastic watching these like insane players who, who like, they have been playing this game for the majority of their lives. And, and like that, well, it's, it's, it's even crazier in Gumi Yushi's case. Cause his older brother is innovation who is a Starcraft two fucking legend. So like <laughs> even the transmission, like within the family of like knowledge of practice and like how to be a pro yeah. player must be crazy. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, and, uh, you know, Danny doesn't come from that kind of a background. So, you know, I'm not going to say that Danny is the most perfect, perfect rookie ever. You know, he still has to work out how to interact with people in a team environment, you know, how to make his, his case in reviews and that kind of thing. But, but, you know, he's only in his second split and people just automatically treat him as, the, as if he's a fixture of the LCS. Uh, and that's, uh, I think I think credit to him, but but you know when he's learning new things, you know for Zeri, he's 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 interacted with so many new champions in the game. He he's he's played like seven games of Zeri, uh, I think like five games in solo queue, one game in scrims, one game in on stage, uh, and I think he got Pentaco in like five of them, which either means that the champion is broken or like the uh, you know. Um, but the the thing is that he can learn these things really really quickly because he's been doing it for more than a decade and. And I think when, when we talk about like this idea of a, a prodigy or like this, 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 you know, really promising young player, like I think most people have in their minds some, somebody like Danny. Uh, and yeah, when we talk about Jojo, it, it, it's, slightly, it's slightly different. Um, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy to work with him and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's on EG uh, right now. So. What would you say, because obviously Monty's setting up on both angles, that on the one hand, it's like Danny's earned his wings, so he gets to have the carry resources, but Jojo is obviously about as much of a rookie as you can ever get at this point in time. So is it also intentional on his side to give him a bit of a break? Uh, 
for Jojo? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he just has, you just have to grow into the role, right? Like, he played his first games on stage this weekend. He's never played on stage before. He's never played with white noise before. Um, and, you know, outside of the game. So, um, he, he's, he's very, Jojo's very, very loud outside the game. So, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I can hear, I can hear, uh, we have a very loud team this year with Impact being kind of there, keeping them all on a leash. Um, I think Inspired and Vulcan and, like I could have sworn I heard barking the other day from the room. Like when I, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't understand the humor. Um, but it's but you know it's uh, it's it's uh, it, it you know it, it, he, he's the youngest player. He's coming into a team environment. He's with these players. All of them have been to worlds. Well, I mean Danny hasn't been to worlds, but you know Impact's been to worlds so so many times. Uh, Inspired has been. You know Vulcan was double LCS champion. You know it's natural that he's going to be at the bottom. And of course Jojo, he's. Um, he has a lot of self-confidence, um, and so maybe it's easier for him rather than most rookies to fit into this environment. Um, but he is, but yeah, uh, it, it's just natural when you bring in a new player to a team, uh, they are naturally going to take time to adjust, and they're not just going to come in at the top of the totem pole uh, unless they're literally somebody like Perks, uh, and then it's a bit different, right? You obviously you said that the Danny guy had been playing all those years, but wasn't there some story like you alluded to, like that the, you'd already been scouting the Jojo guy for a couple of years, right? So he was uh, like fifteen or something. When you start watching him. Um, so I think I think it was uh, it was Fifer uh, that I've known for a couple of years. I've only known Jojo for for eighteen. Oh no, I guess it's been a couple of years now. Um, yeah, but this was a guy at the top of solo queue in in North America. So obviously you look at. You 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 observe all your options, right? Um, but I think I think with Jojo, yeah, I wouldn't. Eighteen months is is close to two years, but but he is he's somebody that you just assume is a Smurf account when you see him for the first time. Um, but but yeah, um, I mean, I he was there in solo queue, so 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 it, it was somebody that was. Uh, I think that the thing that stands out is uh, how aggressive he plays the game. He's really really aggressive about the game. Uh, and I mean, I think with, yeah, I, I mean, could, can I, can I talk about Jojo? For, yes, for do it. Yeah, okay. No. I, I, just to contrast him a bit with Danny, um, like Jojo is, he comes up from Fortnite, right? Like he, he, he's been playing, he was playing League of Legends when he was a kid, but I don't think he's ever really played it seriously. And there are a lot of things where, where with Danny, he just understands the game. Like he lives the game through and through with Jojo. He's still learning the game. Um, and maybe this is a bit of a risk promoting him into, into LCS because to be frank, you know, EG want to go to Worlds this year and three teams go to Worlds from North America and, you know, Jojo, these are the expectations. Jojo, Jojo has even higher expectations, but the expectations were when EG picked up the sky that he will be a top three mid in North America in a league where we expected Jensen and Jizuke to have teams. He will be a top three mid. And if he's not a top three mid, we work on the understanding that the rest of the team are, are carrying him and he's not putting his weight. Uh, now, um, why have we taken some guy from 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 Fortnite and put put kind of put this pressure and this expectations on him? Well, to be clear, we there was a lot of decision making in this off season that to around whether JoJo should be in the team or not. Um, and you know, I I don't think I, I I don't think Jensen was somebody that we were considering, but there was a lot of there there was a lot of like the top people who were who were moving were, were available so, so so why jojo um i think the first thing to realize about jojo is firstly he's new to league of legends but he is this good despite not knowing anything 
Uh, and when I say not knowing anything, we were in review. Uh, we were watching the we were we were watching the the TL series. So obviously we lost three zero to TL. Uh, and Inspired had the mic and I uh, know had the uh, mouse and you know we was we were talking about some team fights uh, and we we're against GP. It's a second game and Jojo is just sitting there um, and we're having a discussion and then there's a team fight and he's like GP barrels can crit and then the team is just the team is just silent like nobody says anything <laughs> and then Morgan is like are you are you serious like. Uh, <laughs> Um, and you you get these stories all of the all of the time with Jojo, you know, like people people maybe see it publicly as like disrespect, but you know, he's he's only been involved in competitive league in academy last year and this year now, you know, he he doesn't know. Bjergsen's a coach to him. Bjergsen, you know, he's not this legendary all time LCS player. He's just a coach that like transferred back into playing. And you know, when he has this tendency to not respect, like history because when he was in Fortnite, he when he was 13 or 14 when he was coming up he would he would be somebody he would he just stream snipe these top players he would stream snipe them challenge them to one-to-ones and just smash them as a 13 year old like even though the, these guys were like the most respected people in the Fortnite community and he would just smash them and that's how people knew who he was and when he made the transition to pro that's how people knew who he was so maybe maybe you know there's a little bit of that kind of disrespect for authority that that he's coming he he's he has coming into league and he believes that he's only limited by himself but it's a very very different approach to danny because danny is like danny is somebody who literally like lives the game he like understands the game fundamentally so so well but jojo every single time he learns something new and you know things like the, the loss against TL or the loss against Cloud9, those are things that he will learn and he now has in his database and he learns incredibly quickly. Um, the only question is, was his base level high enough? And we sent him to Europe because Worlds was in Europe to bootcamp to see if his base level was high enough. And we got to, to, to be clear, when we said Jojo and Danny to Europe, Asian teams, not T1, I can't say which team it is, but not T1, um, were, were offering Evil Genius to scrims because they thought we'd sent our entire team there. Um, because Danny, and because they were so impressed by how strong Danny and Jojo were in solo queue. Uh, and, you know, people were asking for one-to-ones and that kind of thing. Um, and that was when we kind of sat up and, and, and took notice because the plan for Jojo was to try to maybe send him to an ERL for a year or something like that if he wasn't ready. But we, we thought that he was on the boundary, but we actually... Because of the improvements he made, we we, we thought he was ready for the for the step up. So, how true is it everyone. that uh, because of your European like boot camp, like you're saying during Worlds, how true is it that it, JoJo was like a key part of getting inspired on the roster? Because that's kind of a narrative that I've seen floating around that you know, inspired was sent. Oh, the the highlight montage of JoJo, and that he's like, <laughs> yes, I want more of that as the like reigning EU MVP. So I think I, I I'm not sure it was inspired saying I want to come to North America to play with JoJo. It was more a case of inspired saying what you want to bring me to North America and pair me with this rookie that I've never heard of before. Um, like at least show me some clips. I think I think it's more like that uh, rather than the other way around. But it's worth saying that you know JoJo from his performances in Academy, there are a lot of people, especially in the Polish scene, who know who he is because uh, lots of Polish people were watching Mystique's play in Academy. Um, and actually, we had some requests from some Polish streamers to even co-stream some of our Academy games last year. Um, so so people in Poland know who he is. So maybe maybe it wasn't as hard versus, say, if we brought in El Yoya. You know, I'm not sure many people in Spain 
know who Jojo is, but some there's a decent part of the Polish Polish community that know who Jojo is. So mm-hmm. it, I've got a story for you that I can explain the way I want to ask this question about this player. So the legendary film actor and director Orson Welles used to be a theatre man. Actually, he didn't know anything about film, and basically in the very early days of Hollywood, he just got offered a ridiculous contract because he put on all these theatre productions that had done very well. He just got like a, what would be a modern day like stars contract where you sort of have all editorial control and you can do whatever you want with the film. And that's just the way they sort of lured him into making a movie, right? He famously made the movie Citizen Kane, which up until about the last twenty years or so was like famously the critics like pick for number one movie of all time for a long, 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 long time. And in part because it had so many groundbreaking like camera techniques and ways of doing stories and blocking out scenes and stuff. And what people don't know is when he came to cinema, he actually wasn't a genius at like cameras and lighting and all the things that that movie was made famous for. But supposedly the guy, I think he was called, I I forget the name of the guy. I won't attempt to say his name, but basically this guy who was like the best cameraman or cinematographer or whatever in Hollywood heard about this story that this like talented guys come and he just... But the key thing is he heard, like, he's never made any movies, though. So he actually came, supposedly, to Dawson Wells and said, I want to be the cameraman for this movie. Like, let me let me be involved. And the reason why was because he knew Orson Wells knew nothing about cinema. He even, support, this cameraman guy, just went around to all the other people on the set and basically just said, like, never tell him, like, how we actually do things in Hollywood. So as a result, he sort of says, like, oh, let's just do a scene where, like, you know, like, lights coming in through the windows, the heroes sat there, and then we open a giant door, and we come in through on the floor and said, nobody tell him, like, that's not even possible right now because essentially, his imagination will just be unleashed then and then what we'll do is we'll figure out if any of that works like if we can do some of that if we and we'll just we'll do it on the fly and they, as a result they invented all these amazing techniques so basically what i'm asking about now is because when people are going to look i'm sure the chat already saying it like don't matter how many great things you say about Giorgio, they're just going to think of all the clips of jensen carrying games at worlds mm-hmm. they're going to think sure. of jizuki and how he basically was the team last year they're mm-hmm. going to think right this is no matter what you're, you're on you're on one here peter donnie you just yep. you're overhyped on this play you can't possibly that group. Yeah. But I've heard actually, and I know Aaron Ayer in Europe told me a similar thing in an interview a few years ago. He says it isn't just that teams are cynical and they want to, you know, pay the young player, the rookie, not as much money as the veteran, like a Jensen might come out. He also says a lot of coaches in the modern day who want to have an impact on the game want these players that haven't sort of been taught anything and they can just, they can mould them to some degree. Whereas if you sign a Jensen, obviously, example, would be a Soaz, these people are yeah, somewhat more set in stone what they're going to do. And if anything, you want to play to what they want. So was there some of this involved with bringing in a young player like this for such a vital role as mid lane? Sure. Um, so firstly, I mean, I think that, you know, it's very rare you see a player that is as good as Jojo who knows so little. And I, I mean, I, 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 it seems like I'm flaming my player to keep saying he knows so little, but there is so much he needs to learn. He's so far away from, 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 from being where, where, what he needs to be. And that's part of, part of what makes him so good, right? Like the, the part of what makes his potential so good because he will learn this stuff very, very quickly and he does learn the stuff very, very quickly. Um, but I don't think this is, this is the case on a team like this because this is a team full of veterans. Like maybe you can make the case for this in a team like Mad Lions 2020, which had Humanoid and the four rookies. But in a team like um, the current EG, that's just not going to happen because um, you have a team that has three like super, super veterans who are going to have a large amount to say. It doesn't matter, you know, what I as a coach or Turtle who's, who's, who's handling a lot of their day to day running. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also helping, but he's the strategic coach. Um, they're going to have a huge amount to say on the game. I think that there is one point to be made, though, which is that 
by having a rookie mid laner and like a rookie mid laner that's still growing into his role, and in fact a rookie laner that was a, played a facilitating role. You know, Jojo is the champions that you've seen Jojo on so far. You know, the Corkies and the Victors. He's not good at playing those champions. He's a Rise player. He's a Set player. He's a Lissandra player. He's a LeBlanc player. You know, he's an assassin, assassin melee. You know, uh, roaming roaming player. Okay, you saw you saw a bit of his TF, um, but really there as a really good jungle facilitator. And then you bring in the best carry jungler in the West and maybe a top five carry jungler in the world. Uh, so natri- so what you so it's not so much about giving the coach the keys to the car. It's more like giving the keys to inspired and saying, look, you have this guy who you can shape, who you can work with. Um, and we're going to play the game through mid, how you want to play the game through mid. And if you had a player like a Jensen or Jizuke, I mean, look... Jizuke is my old player. I don't uh, like. I, I had a really good time working with him, but it's no coincidence that every jungler that ends up playing with Jizuke looks really bad, right? Oh. Uh, because because he plays for mid, right? Like the mid jungle, you can either play for the jungle or you can play for the mid, and he <laughs> wants to play for mid, right? Whereas Inspired wants to play for jungle. So I think you you have. I mean, the... I just feel like Inspired <laughs> is just like a different kind of Jizuke, frankly. Like yeah. like I, I, okay, one thing about one thing about you, Peter, is that you love, and I love this about you, and I love this about what you've done with evil geniuses is that you like players with real distinct styles that like are very very like hard in the paint on what they want to do and there there is no jungler that's more hard in the paint on i'm gonna fucking farm and like i love inspired because i love watching his pathing i think he's incredibly intelligent i think he introduces an element of danger to games where it's like because you never see him he's like a fucking ninja and like he could because he focuses on farming and like counterpathing the other jungler he introduces this kind of sense of dread to enemy laners on the map and he's like always in fucking weird places but he's he's elusive and I, I, you know, you just, as a team, you have to play around that. Like Rogue had to play around that last year and you guys are definitely playing around it right now. I mean, if you look at him statistically, he's like leading the charge in like, he gets more of a share of CS after 15 minutes than any other jungler in the LCS through lock-in in the first week so far. And this is the, he's, he's higher up in like CSD at 10 and 15 minutes than any other jungler. These are the exact same stats he had on Rogue. And what's so interesting is like the jungle... You really have to look a lot of times statistically at what jungle pick because clear speeds vary, you know, all of these things are really finicky based on the jungler that you're playing. But he just tops this category in no matter what he's playing in whatever league he's playing. And so he has this level of consistency. And like, I find that very interesting that you guys went after Inspired because... I mean, it, it lines up with what you're saying about Jojo, that he is very malleable being a young player. And I'm sure for Inspired, he's like, yes, you will play around my style, you know, as, as a jungler. I'm sure he loves that shit. I'm sure he loves it. <laughs> European clear love? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, Inspired really, really does love that shit. Um, uh, I, what I will say, though, is I think that now that you've seen Malrong on Rogue, um, and Malrong that is very with... interesting, by the way, because he is the yeah. exact fucking opposite yeah. of Inspired. Like he is, you couldn't have gone like one eighty harder between those two junglers, and yep. it's really fascinating to see what's going on over there. But but I actually think that this is kind of like so. It, this is really cliche, but I actually think this is kind of a win win situation because frankly, the fact that Inspired and Larson were able to do so much and do so well together, I mean in relative terms, for so long is is a miracle because people who have that mid lane style and that jungle style shouldn't be able to play together. Oh. It just shouldn't it just shouldn't work, right? 
Um, and so now I think you're going to see Larson looking better now that he has Marung by his side. And I think you're going to see Inspired looking better now that he has Jojo. Um, because cause, cause the balance is, is, is more there. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it should be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole we'll we'll probably talk about it later. But what's going on with Rogue right now is really weird because, again, looking at the stats, Malrong is, you know, bottom of the barrel, negative CS, negative gold, you know, doesn't take any resources. And that's that's like put, you know, a lot of eggs into other people's baskets. Right. But it's just such a bizarre switch. And for them to be arguably more successful now after that switch, is, especially after Inspired you know, coming off an MVP performance is <laughs> wild. Like that is yeah. really unusual. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it's interesting though, that you built this team like based around inspired. Is that what you, like, what were the pieces in the off season for you that were coming together? Like how did the dominoes fall? Cause I know it's always like super weird building rosters. Cause there's always a level of doubt about which players are going to sign. And you kind of need to like set a couple building blocks in place. Like, Obviously, you know, you knew you were holding on to Impact. You knew you were holding on to Danny. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Vulcan came up for grabs, and Vulcan has typically been like a top two support in North America. So, mm -hmm. certainly a very valuable player to have on your roster. Um, but was how much of the JoJo decision was because you guys had inspired, or was that decision made before you got inspired? So, so I think with Vulcan, like Vulcan was not on on our scouting list. So, so uh, in the in the like two days, three days before the window, uh, I had some I had some family family emergency that I had to deal with. But all of the scouting was done. We kind of knew who our roster was going to be. Inspired was locked in by this stage. Um, mm. But basically, Vulcan, we hadn't even scouted Vulcan because the idea that we would be able to get Vulcan was just it was just not there. Like we just hadn't considered Vulcan as an option, and we were looking at many other options. You know, some from Korea, some from Europe. Uh, and things like this, right? So because so, because so, NA supports are fucking tragic is is why guys like um, it, as as any GM will tell you in <laughs> NA actually support is people people focus on like the NA mid thing, but NA support is also a massive massive issue uh, of how you deal with that. Yeah. By the um, way, yeah. it, it, obviously it's up to you, but can you not, can you give us a tease and tell us like one Korean name or some player that could have joined? Surely not uh, that private. Uh, it's been and gone. Okay, so. EG talked to a lot of people, okay, uh, this offseason, and let me say, say this. Everyone, everyone was considered, and everyone that made a move this offseason, with the exception of Deyo, the, the Astralis guy, um, was scouted. Every um, single person? Uh, almost all of the big names you can imagine and all of the rookie names that you can imagine in LEC. Uh, and uh, on, in the top, so I don't know like, you know, who Nongshin brought in and things like this, right? But every single player that has moved to a top team in Korea or in Europe was scouted. And, mo mm -hmm. and, um, so, and considered... better than all them. What's the logic? What, uh, well, what's the statement we're sort of constructing here? I mean, you know, where you know, just because Chovy was scouted doesn't mean Chovy was an option, right? right? Of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but 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 everyone that could possibly can be considered was considered, and I think that there were two big name Korean sports, and that's all I'm going to go into. Okay. Um, uh, but but uh, you know, Vulcan Vulcan wasn't on that list, and the fact that we got Vulcan, you know, 
it, uh, I was I was doing dealing with my my family issue, and I I got a call from Andrew Barton, who's our GM, saying Vulcan's available. What do you think? <laughs> it was cool. Vulcan's available. <laughs> I mean, like Vulcan. I will be clear. Since I've been in North America, Vulcan is one of the few players that other players have come to me and said, "If only you had Vulcan, I would play for your team." Right? Like, and I've had I've had multiple top North American players or players that have been in North America saying they really want to play with Vulcan. So, so yeah. What's I, the draw? I, what is the appeal that they, they see? Um, they think that he's, he's by far the best North American sport, but also he's mechanically, he's mechanically solid and he has a good understanding of how to play the game. Um, whereas I think there is a, I don't know if it's elitism or, or there's, there's an idea in North America that only a certain group of players understand how to play League of Legends uh, and you want to be on a team with some of those players no matter what and I think this is something you saw with Bjergsen saying that he wanted oh. to go to TL to play with a certain player I'm almost certain that's called JJ uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 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 yeah so, so there's, there's these kind of groups of players so the fact that we could get Vulcan was you know I'm, I'm super super happy about it uh, and for a player like Vulcan is not one of those players who fits into a specific style, right? He's one of those flexible players that allows you to have kind of spe- like you can't have five specialists in a team, right? You need to have one or two people who balance out your specialists. Um, and I mean, to have Vulcan in that kind of a balancing role is is really really valuable. So obviously, uh, the joke is that they they only offered Chovy to play support in the team. You had to be the support, <laughs> and Jojo was still the mid because you know, listen, you haven't seen what Peter Dunsaw two years ago in a Fortnite game or something. I don't fucking know. With, with the sniper rifle or whatever, anything. So, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I, there's so many names that that, that were the, like the EG the EG roster and some of the iterations that That's were. The biggest question that Monty should absolutely be asking right now, which is in this team, you get to pretend that Impact is a fucking American player. Why are you using an extra import slot to just make the team OP? This is one thing to say each player in isolation is fine, but you have essentially got four NA players. You could have another another yeah. import. Uh, and I, mean, I mean, to be clear, when I say that EG, like, because obviously publicly EG have gone on this idea that we're going to promote NA talent. We're not just promoting people because they're from North America. You know, we have right. a spare import slot. There is a world where Vulcan doesn't join EG and we use that import slot, right? right. It's not like mm. it's not like I'm determined to get. Besides, I think that's a better idea, Peter, because it gives you <laughs> flexibility to replace JoJo halfway through the season. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That, I, I bet everyone knows that if we replace JoJo halfway through the season, it's going to be for Jizu, for um, Jensen, who is... Uh, I, don't who is <laughs> I don't even have anything against the JoJo guy. Like, Look, I will say, yeah. some of his like trash talk, because he is just a 17-year-old that knows nothing, it just does, it falls a bit flat for me, it rings a bit hollow, you know? Like, I think it's he's adorable. Not, he's, not, he's not on like, the double of level, you know? He's not on that level of like savagery. But I will just say, the reason I actually despise that signed this player is because I already know how lowbrow the level of humor is in NA and it's just going to be people making that shit joke about that fucking anime Jojo's Adventure or whatever the fuck oh, no. just the whole yeah. year long the whole year like god forbid you ever play a bard and he goes with the fucking oh I can't even handle it Peter please no <laughs> oh, I, I can't I can't take it it's too much <laughs> what is, NA is the worst for driving memes and jokes into the ground just meme it into the ground like I don't want to hear that anyone's ankles got broke that was that was just done about a year ago. You said it seven million times. Mercy, <laughs> please. I, I, I'm so sad that Jensen and Jizuka aren't in the league, especially Jensen, because like I, I want JoJo to be able to play against Jensen. Because the worst oh. thing that can happen is the entire year Jensen doesn't join a team, and then people are like, "Oh, you know, why are they signing JoJo?" You know, yep. they he. he 
it's okay. He's Peter. He's going to get a lot of experience playing against <laughs> NA classic picks like yeah. Zillion and Soraka, like he did so, this last <laughs> week. You know? Stuff that will stuff that will definitely be working at an international level, as we have come to expect. It will definitely work against Korean mids, guys. Chovy is going to be like, I don't know what the fuck to do against this. So normally, so I know JoJo can take this, right? But I mean, he didn't understand his role in the Soraka versus Victor matchup. You know, like he, he just in that game, he's literally I, I'm pretty sure that he's literally never seen a Soraka mid in his life. Uh, and he just didn't know how to play against it. Right. Like and uh, the team adapted a bit and the game was closer than it should have been. But the the way that he played the mid lane matchup was just completely wrong. Um, and, you know, the next time he sees a Soraka mid, you know, Cherry pulls out Soraka mid at, at Worlds this year. He's going to know what to do. So, oh, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear you say that because, like, it really felt that I really enjoyed your game versus Cloud Nine. First off, and it really what I what I loved about it was that you had a very very strong plan. I felt coming into the early game of how to try and punish this matchup. Right? Mm -hmm. You have very you you push very aggressively early. You have a three camp start for inspired into an invade when you know Olaf is likely to be full clearing the jungle. So you actually use that pressure super well to get early first blood and play very aggressively in their jungle. So it felt like, you know, you you were really well prepped coming into this game. So what was it about the Victor Soraka matchup that you felt Jojo played badly? Because I, I thought that your early game plan was good. Okay, so first things first, on the initial invade, we got really unlucky on the initial invade because the blue buff chased Blabber all the way to his tower when it had like one bar of, I don't know what the, the thing is called, you know, the thing that makes jungle camps reset. Patience. Uh, patience, yeah. So it had literally one bar of patience and it chased him all the way to his tower so that he could smite it, gain health and trade, uh, trade one for one kill, which is what mm. got him ahead, which is actually what started his snowball. Because we couldn't invade his jungle afterwards. He should have been forced out of his jungler jungle and sent out completely out of the game. So so that was, you know, a bit of bad luck. Maybe maybe really well played by Blabbo, you know, but the patience was if you go and look back at it, it was literally on the point of resetting uh, and it continued to chase him. Um the 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 thing I think on the matchup is that his role Funny, is not when I watch Blabber play, my patience is often running very thin. Totally unrelated to a game mechanic. Um, um, you know, uh, so I, I I can't go too many details. Okay, uh, there, there is one thing. Okay, so for instance, he took Airy instead of Phase Rush, right? He mm -hmm. he. So Airy is something you take more for 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 lane domination. But if you're against a Soraka as a victor, you don't need to take that route. You can just go, you can go and take phase rush. You can be really, really strong later and you're still going to get that priority. You're not going to bully him as hard, but you're, you're going to have more, you're going to have more utility later in, in team fights. His role is not to force the Soraka off the map, right? Like even if Soraka is 30 CS down to you, Soraka is still going to be useful, right? But yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, I forget what the starting item was. Was it, was it airy corrupting pot? Was that, that's yeah, a typical uh, airy start? Yeah, I, I think so. As opposed uh, to phase rush Doran's. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, so he he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to smash the enemy mid laner into the floor if the enemy person has a Soraka. Same sort of thing. Enemy is a Zillion, right? And you know, he he played against two of his last three games because it was the final game of the TL series. Were against supports support supported mid laners that he's just never seen in Academy. I mean, he's the one playing the supported mid laner. Like his best champion is actually Lulu. Lulu and Silas are, are the, his two best champions. So he's the one normally playing on that side of the matchup. But it's um, but 
now that he's seen it, he's not going to make the same mistake again, right? Now, the next time he goes and plays against an Ivan mid or like a Soraka mid or something like this, he's going to understand what he's supposed to do and it's going to be okay, right? But the, the but question, game, why, why are we blaming him for this when there's a coach that is on comms and draft who can literally <laughs> say, please play phase rush versus Soraka? Because... And this is a mistake on the coaching side, and this is a mistake on my side. Are you ready? Just a steal. Got him. I mean, when you talk about when you talk about like silence, you know, I'm also sitting in the review, right? And so's Turtle when when he's asking about GP barrels, right? Like, there's that, and there's no shame in that, right? Like, I mean, he will learn these things, um, sure. but I wouldn't but, have known that either, to be fair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you just you just assume, and you know, in the in the future, you know, we're just not going to assume, right? Um, so 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 that's a mistake, and obviously that's a mistake I shouldn't have made. But obviously, like there there are, you know, you just have to you, you just have to you, with a rookie like this with, with a player with a so I'm going to compare JoJo rookie to Danny rookie, right? With a JoJo rookie, maybe you need a little bit more more guidance than than we expected. But the thing is that you know, Victor is a champion; he puts a lot of time into. And, you know, Rise is one of his... So you compare how he plays Rise to how Kaido plays Rise. And there's... there's there's It's just really obvious, like, the way they play around Fog, the way they play around Priority and things like this. So you just... Because he's put so much time into Victor, you just assume he has that same difference. And when he's played Victor into another champion, say, like a Lux or something like this, right, he knows how to play that matchup, even though Lux is the supportive... The, 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 the supportive mid laner. So it's just, it's just a case of... You know, just don't assume, and that's that's a coaching that's a coaching mistake. Fair enough. Right, Monty. And, how much more do you want to talk about EG? Because there's other teams we can talk. No, about. no, no. I want to talk. I want to talk more about this game in, right. in particular because, like, I think I think it was a really interesting game. So, despite the fact that you say, "Oh, you know, the victor should have run phase rush in, instead of airy," and like these factors happened, and the patience on the blue buff. Despite that, you know, I felt like your team was like well coached into what could happen in this game if they ran kind of a low wave clear enchanter mid and you were keeping the pressure on. I, I think what was interesting, and I, I I think we can parlay this into a conversation about what Cloud9 is doing, because I think a lot of people want to hear takes on that, which is that you don't have to have priority on Soraka to basically fight with with Soraka, which is that I felt a lot of the, the biggest problems from you guys were actually that you were taking these skirmishes in the river when you had mid priority, but that Soraka would just ult on this increasingly fed Olaf and win these fights. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was the, the biggest mistakes were trying <clears throat> to take those fights or thinking that you could, which obviously is if you haven't played against a mid Soraka, it's very Pro players may not remember that in the moment because it looks like a favorable game state and you have to like take a step back and say, no, it, it actually isn't um, in, a, in a more unusual way than normal. So is that sort of in the execution or in the setup? In the setup of when you're taking fights, like okay, what, yeah, could, okay. what could yeah. like look like a mistake, you have a mid priority. Olaf yeah. is in river. You yeah. think you can take that fight, but the fight is over because of Soraka yeah. interference before Victor can move. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we had some of those issues. This game, obviously, there's a situation like the in the game where Jojo tries to flash for Olaf and doesn't kill him, right? Um, so, so I think it's a little bit mechanical mistakes. I think it's a little bit of um, uh, I think it's a little bit of of setup. But obviously, you know, 
again, this and when we talk about the rest of the LCS, we can go into this in more detail, but we've been playing a lot of scrims and we haven't been playing a lot of scrims against a comp like this that plays that functions in this way right we right. just so, I would assume so that that's true because you would have been <laughs> scrimming cloud nine before yep. your first week of playing with them and they're the only uh, ones doing it so yeah um and i will say also that that um this was a new patch so so the finals weekend uh for lock-in um was played on a new patch from the rest of the tournament um which is fine you know lock-in is not like a uh, a, a serious tournament it's a it's a warm-up tournament but obviously we didn't adapt 100 percent well to the new patch um against um against tr in the finals and then it was also a new patch come into first week of lcs because zeri wasn't enabled in lock-in finals so so it's it's also a little bit on the new patch a little bit about how we're going to adapt to the new patch obviously we're really like Zeri is a Danny champion, right? So we don't have time. So we get a bit lucky on that. It favors us a bit more versus the patch that was played at the Falokin finals. But it doesn't, um, uh, it means that we don't, because we're spending all of this time learning the new patch, we're not, we, we, we're not spending that much time like thinking about diversifying styles, right? Normally, normally that's something you do either hard in preseason or something you do on the second week of a new patch. Because um, first week is learning the new meta, right? For champions. Sorry. Okay. So <laughs> we're in the cloud nine then. Yes. So let's let's talk about cloud nine then, because obviously your game was was very was very interesting against them because it was I would say similar in spirit uh, to the first game in that they're running a enchanter mid lane that basically the purpose of the compositions is to allow hyper carry potential from the ad and jungle roles um yep. in in a broad stroke both of these both of these comps are, are trying to do this they were both played into victor uh mm -hmm. ivern and soraka and it was very different and very i guess unexpected i certainly learned a lot myself uh watching some of these games especially the ivern one which was very weird but surprisingly effective but they play out in different ways because the Ivern had like a weird priority by using Daisy on the wave and then using the Ivern shield to wave clear very aggressively to enable access to the river. Whereas the Soraka was using ults to provide support into the river. So the priority was different, but the kind of fundamentals of the comp when they actually played out in team fights was somewhat similar. Yep. Um, I mean, I think this is is it's basically just about it's a it's a new way of funneling, right? You you play low resource yep. mid, um, and I mean, there's something TR are doing right with Zillion as well. Um, it's something FlyQuest are doing with their Smite, yep. Smite top janners and things like this. So, so I think this season is about funneling hyper carries um, because of how objective bounties work, because of other changes they made to items and things like this. So it's just a new way of funneling, and it's a different approach to funneling. Um, yep. And I think most teams are going with reducing jungle, um, reducing jungle resources uh, in order to in order to 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 pump more into other roles. But I think that um, yeah, the cloud nine's cloud nine's answer is to cut cut resources for mid. Um, and I think it makes bot lane incredibly important uh, this year, uh, especially with the teleport changes as well. Right, that's what that's also played into it because you can't preemptively shut down your opponent from from committing resources into bot by making plays on the other side of the map and then TPing down. So so I think Cloud9's approach is, is is smart. I don't think they're blind picking Soraka. I think 
no, no, not Soraka. Um, Sona, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Sona may be a Yumi counter, but who knows? Right? Maybe they think Sona is is that OP, but you know, Sona is the best champion in the game at doing this. Uh, but yeah, it's just an interesting approach, and they've got Berserker, who obviously looks incredibly strong so far. Um, so, so yeah, so it's it's a good way for Cloud Nine to play the game um, with the players that they have. You buy the hype of their roster. Um, I mean, I think I think Berserker is somebody when I was doing my preseason scouting is somebody that impressed me a lot. Uh, Summit, I think it's interesting because both Summit and Berserker are high resource players. So, like, really, really high resource. Like, Summit is is a very high. He's almost like a Marin level um, high resource player. So, how they balance that? I thought that would be one of the challenges that Cloud Nine would have. How how they balance how they balance the high resource players. Um, but yeah, they found the answer, and their answer is go low resource in in mid lane. Uh, and th- that means there's enough resources on the map. So I think it's, I think it works. it works. So I'm split about my opinion on objective bounties because on the one hand, I actually deeply hate rubber band mechanics. Um, and I mean, frankly, in a way, this is this is like the LS dream, right? Because now the risk of losing early is is even mitigated further uh, into scaling by the fact that rubber band mechanics exist and the ability to come back. But the reason why I like it in certain ways, even though I think it's kind of perversely manifesting itself through John Smite Top, is that I want to see star players flip out and carry games. And this is an excellent way to control the resources better of where you allocate them. And it makes it more clear in many ways who teams are playing around, who those star players are going to be. And I think it's, you know, it's enabled players like Blabber in a way that he was never enabled on previous iterations of Cloud9 since the Niski era, mm-hmm. which where he was very strongly enabled. But it's really fucking fun, honestly, to see him on signature champs like Olaf and then also on the Gwen be able to press early advantages and and take these leads. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, for Fudge, who's a player that actually doesn't, in my experience of talking with him, doesn't have much of an ego at all and is making a trans like a role swap transition to take a more passive role to kind of ease him into that job. While a lot of, you know, bringing on very strong teammates, whether it's a veteran player like Summit or a newer player like Berserker who are who are kind of handling more of the the carrying responsibilities. Although I will say Summit feels somewhat disconnected from this team right now, but I think that's understandable given the fact that they've had a few days to play together. I think it's it's remarkable that they're looking this good already, in fact. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And also it's part of being on top lane as well, right? Like top lane just will naturally feel disconnected because of all the changes they made to it uh, this offseason. But I, I think I think they found a balance and... Uh, you know, it's it's a very interesting year because, you know, when I was looking at this roster construction, that was the one concern because obviously Blabber, also a very high resource player, at his best. He can play low resource, but at his best, he's a high resource <laughs> he had, uh, a player. Well, the problem with Blabber is he plays <laughs> like he has high resource even when he has low resource, and then he just ints. So you don't, you, 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 I mean, you can play like that, I guess, but I think it really limits your upside huh? if you're Cloud9. I mean, if he's going in, put put your mid lane on Lulu, Ivan, <laughs> so, and let him in, let him into his heart's content, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely interesting, definitely a new challenge for us to to kind of approach. Uh, and you know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's the best way to play the game. Who knows? But I mean, but if, you must be loving this because, like we said earlier, you you like creating teams with very strong player identities. Mm-hmm. That's your fucking jam. So, yeah. like this meta. 
and this this method of funneling resources should delight you in some ways, I would imagine. <laughs> well, I mean, if this is the meta, I have like an insane enchanted mid player. Like, so so I, back in the day, I was a Janna top one trick. So, you know, I appreciate the smite. You know, people hate it, but, you know, I love I love smite flash Janna top. You know, that, this is the dream, you know, just roam around with Janna. This is what I used to do on Janna before it was a thing. Um, and also my mid laner is like a, he's like a Lulu, he can play Lulu, he can play Karma, you know, he can play all of these champions. So if this is the meta, then that's super, super good for EG. Um, but, but let, let, let's see, let's see how, let's see how, how it does. But obviously, you know, I, I love, I love this approach to the game. I don't think it's the best approach. You know, I'm, I'm going to stay on the Renekton side for now. Um, but, but, you know, if it is, then all, all good. And we've got seven weeks to work it out before playoffs. So, so let's see. Right, obviously, we talked about Cloud9. I want to talk about the other traditionally great North American team, which is, of course, TSM. So there's a, here's some stats <laughs> for you guys. TSM has lost every single game they've played in this split so far. They are literally the last place team in LCS. And so technically, as they've won zero games and they are last place, they could be the worst team in the entire world of League of Legends. That's actually, <laughs> listen, that's not my opinion. That's just the way that stats work. Facts work. I just wanted to be able to say that on an episode of Something Insight. That's where we're at, Reggie. That's how far you've come. <laughs> I, you love, you you love to see reality. So, so here's actually, the thing. Astralis exactly. is 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 zero and nine over in Europe, but they also almost won this last week. Yes, ten <laughs> k up in that game, or like nine k or something. I remember watching they that. They should have won that game. It was bad. Uh, it was embarrassing. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I really like White Knight, like you know, as a person. So I was really sad for him, but but yeah, um, TSM. Uh, ooh. Uh, well, it's so, just a pretty bold off-season moves and people don't know. They brought in Tactical, who was very heavily criticizing Team Liquid. And then they brought in these two Chinese players slash XL, LPL talents or whatever the fuck. They're obviously going with a bold scouting approach themselves. Can you tell us any thoughts about this team? What do you know okay. about them? So, firstly, I just want to make it clear that I think leaking scrims is bad and I will never leak scrims. Okay. Number, so number one thing. Number two, blab. Um, <laughs> so, number two, speaker. Was, okay. Speaker, right. speaker was on a different talk show uh, and implied that going into the finals of lock in, EG may have scrimmed TSM and may have been running it down every single game that EG picked uh, Varus and therefore. EG thought Varus was really, really strong going into the series and Steve should give him uh, a paycheck or something like this for the finals, right? I'm not going to confirm or deny that. I'm just going <laughs> to say that that has been, that that has been said. Um, <laughs> look, uh, and yeah. Uh, so, so TSM, um, you know, they have coordination issues. It's a language issue. It's not the same as bringing in, you know, somebody like Summit who... The question is, who is the veteran leader on this team? Because you, you need some veteran leadership on some team, unless you have like a, a rookie who is just a natural born leader, right? And so Madlands got away with it. You can argue maybe we didn't get away with it because we lost the players, but, you know, got away with it over the course of the year because Humanoid was like a natural, he just, he, he's just, a you know, you, you have him on your team and you want to follow him and you want to see him succeed. Uh, and the question is, who is that player on TSM? Because it can't be Shen Yin and it can't be Kuai Duo at the start. Uh, and is it Speaker? Is it Huni? I mean, I don't know much about Huni, but from what I've seen about him, he he looks like a fun, fun-loving guy. But he's not, you know, the main character in 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 the story, um, especially when he's been on really strong teams. So so is it is it Speaker? 
who knows? It's um, I, I know they said he could speak Chinese as well, or whatever. Well, but so that's I, that's I, the, I assume the assumption is he's the leader. Yeah, but that's yeah. the problem. We've seen in in interviews already that TSM players are saying that Spica is translating within games, which obviously, like, if he's spending a lot of his time translating, he can't be spending a lot of time making complex shot calls. I mean, that's just true. Yeah. There's only so much time. Yeah, but but I mean. <laughs> You know, speaker. You can you can call somebody a leader, and you can have somebody actually be a leader, yes. right? So, so like again, Perks is the default example of this, right? Obviously, Perks playing really well in the LEC right now, but he's not always playing really well. Like sometimes he just plays really badly, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because he is the leader, right? And you can't like. There's many things you can coach, and there's many things you can teach, but you can never like. Break that premise down, though, because you said that in like an offhand manner. Like, by the way, it sounded like you were taking cues from the wrong career there. It doesn't matter that he's wrong because he's the leader. Like, when you say that, though, what do you mean by that? Unpack that a little bit. Why is that relevant? Because it can, because it means people will follow your call, right? It doesn't yes. matter how badly you're doing or how badly like you're playing individually. If 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 you if somebody like, and it's really hard. Like, if you see it in a player, you know, you know it. You know it when you see it. But it's really hard to go and say this guy is that guy, right? And the only reason I'm mentioning perks is because so many people over so many years have said it, right? So I, I've never worked with Pucks. I, I don't know what he's like at all. You know, maybe he's super quiet. I doubt it, but, you know, maybe he's not. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched Rebs. He's not. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there's sometimes that when things are going badly or when people don't know what to do, there is, you, you can have a voice in a team that says, do this, right? And people just follow. They don't question. They just follow. Um, and humanoid again is one of those players um, that I've worked with. But the but uh, who is that player on TSM? Is it Speaker? Like I, I don't know. But if it is Speaker, it's going to be the first time he's going to be doing this in his career. Um, and uh, you know, if it's Kaido or it's Shinji, um, then then they're not going to be that at the start. In the same way, even if Jojo has all those talents, and I believe that he does have the talent to be a leader one day in the future, you can't just come in and do that, right? Like in, into another league. It just doesn't work like that unless you are a one in a million player. And I'm not even convinced when Perks came straight into LEC, he was like, I think Trick Trick had a lot of, and he had other yes. veterans. So he I would say as much himself in interviews. Yeah. yeah. What's wild, if you think about it, is TSM has just completely inverted everything about TSM Monty. The entire team is based around a carry top laner and the jungle is the fucking shot caller who tells everyone what to do. What's that? Like, Reginald, I know you <laughs> fucked everything up in your whole life, but this isn't that Seinfeld episode, the opposite, where he just starts doing the opposite in his entire life. Like, that doesn't actually work. That was just a cool conceit for an episode, you idiot. <laughs> At this point in time, yeah. though, the joke is, like, who hasn't left TSM? This point, you know the fucking yeah, part of the letters that was probably gonna leave. Yeah, it's called oh SM next or something. But should we call BDSM the way they're fucking paid and take a beat in that? Anyway, I'm through. I apologize. It's, 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 but but Reggie's not doing League of Legends anymore, right? I don't know what he's doing right now. <laughs> Some would say fucking his whole no. life and career up, you know. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, 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 if I had to guess, Peter Dan, what Reggie's doing. No, right who now, is doing TSM? I, I mean, I guess it's my boy Case technically, right? Isn't he still there? Yeah. Must be a, him, right? he's, he's an assistant coach. Yeah, uh, I, I, 
yeah, I think, um, you know, Reggie probably can't do anything right now until these investigations conclude, would be my uh, assumption. By the way, let's be real. I know the whole time he was the coach, like, Path kept going, I'm not even supposed to bloody be here, like Dante from fucking Clerks. But he was the coach that won loads of championships. And I always got the vibe that in their relationship, like, listen, if it was Monty I was talking to here, I'd actually use, like, a cultured reference and say he's sort of like the fucking, the butler from PG Woodhouse or something, you know, like, getting everything together and whatnot. The problem is none of the kids and Zoomers are going to know what the fuck I'm talking about. So instead, I'll just say he's more like, I don't know, Smithers and Mr. Burns. That's some sort of relationship I imagine they had. Where I thought Path just did everything. And then Reginald just sat around going, and how can we fuck Team Liquid now? Or whatever. Like, like, I don't know, Reggie. I guess we're just trying to fucking pay for their players or something. Like, you know, I, that's always the fact. I don't know what's going on at TSM now. It's actually getting sad, Peter. Like, I wish I could make that whole segment really fun. I've only got five minutes out of it. They're going to be just an underwhelming team this year. Like, there's no way this team's winning the LCS or going to Worlds, yeah. mate. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there's, uh, I, I mean, apparently in the chat, somebody's saying they have Dominic, who, who's a new uh, VP. So of the VP of esports, the new VP of okay. esports is Dom, um, who came from Genji. I actually know him. Um, okay. Thorin, I'll, I'll let you opine when I when I issue the following statement. Uh, I, I don't know how many other divisions he was part of, but he was part of the CSGO roster for Genji and putting that roster together. Okay. It was all right. It wasn't great, yeah. but it was all right. Just okay. A uh, competent guy, though, from from my conversations with him. So um, I think interesting hire. But I, I mean, to be clear, like, if you dislike a team, you know, you want that team to be strong so you could go and, you know, if your coach smash them yourself or if you can, or if you're, if you don't like a particular team, uh, you know, you want them to go and have their, their their dreams taken away from them, right? Yes. So so you know the latter maybe, but yeah, that's me. That's my master. That feels like take from them everything. Uh, yeah. I mean like twenty nineteen, no? Like no wait, no, no, it wasn't twenty it was twenty twenty, right? Twenty twenty is 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 the dream if 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 uh if if you if uh you don't like TSM that much, you know, it's Give them a little bit of hope and then yes. take it all away. It's not, by the way, if people don't get it, it actually isn't as much fun when they don't go to Worlds. Yeah, exactly. They have to go to Worlds and then take the beating. Like, it's not as much fun they just don't even get there. So people yeah. don't get it in summer, I actually low-key puff them. In fact, my dream is if they do win the summer split because then their fans start to go, hmm, maybe, I think this yeah, this it could happen this time. And then they just get, and then that's when yeah. so yeah, awesome. like, if, if it's a team yeah. I don't like, if it's a, so, so I think there's only like one team that I dislike in, in League of Legends, which is oh, which Turkish team is that? No, it's it's actually Red Cannons, but uh, <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. there we go. <laughs> I, I never, but I never, I never want that team to be bad. You know, like it's if they're just bottom of the league, I don't want to. I that's just sad. You know, it's just I, like I want them to be really good. I mean, and then, you know, I want them you know, to go to the finals and cheer against them, right? Like that's it. I, I hate to say it, but like I don't even know if I'm going to be able to hate TSM, you know, in the future. Like, you know, the things I really disliked about TSM, like Reggie, who knows where that's going? Like, he might not even be involved in the future. Like, I don't know where this investigation's headed. I guess we'll hear something, you know, in, in the in the coming weeks. But that's a possibility. And then all their fans left when Bjergsen left, so they don't even really have annoying fans anymore. So, yeah. like, how can I hate them if Reggie and the fans are? I, I don't. I don't think I can. Yeah. Don't ruin the whole fucking reality. Series, don't my favorite <laughs> character Reginald was the Kramer of the show. He isn't just busting in the room like the Kool Aid Man anymore, is he? Like now he's just off in some fucking I don't know opium den, just going being just having some guy run in and have a we were we're four and six in the spring. Oh, okay. 
back into season two or something. I don't fucking know. No one knows where this guy is. It's actually shit. Because that's the thing. I used to love the fact he was so front face and he was in all there trying to like manage the team. It was fucking amazing. Because the best thing was, I always thought like if you took away all the stupid stuff he said, the fact that like he essentially held people accountable and he would at least try and like force certain types of conflicts that people had to address. Them. In some ways that actually did have at the beginning mad value. Like it was sort sure. of a bit OP. The problem is every year it's like you had diminishing returns on that until by the end you could almost tell they were almost like sort of wait for him to get the fuck out of the room so they could just talk about what they actually were going to do in the game anymore it just got really awkward didn't it like it really was still that meme of like all right reginald just going like why are you buying you know fucking swifty boots and then just going all right reginald back to bed mate yeah all right and that fucking old grandma meme like what the fuck it's got sad at the end it's got sad yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, reginald I mean... the nursing home status it's like you know oh yeah all right dyrus dyrus hasn't been in the team for about four years reggie all right back to bed mate. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of sad. So I I hope they I hope they get it together. You know, even though it may be worse for EG's chances at Worlds, you know, you want good competition so you can go and smash them into the floor, right? It's no fun just just smashing bad teams, right? Here's the thing, Monty. I'm gonna ask this because I I'm gonna I'm gonna put it intentionally play upon Peter Dunn's weakness, which is inevitably his humanity. And of course, I'm gonna ask him this question, and it's gonna go at this Peter Dunn. Go on then, sell me as to why actually I should think Dignitas is gonna be half decent, mate. Because listen, I don't believe you no matter what you say. You'll never you'll never break the my mind palace and make me believe. But go on, sell me on some angle that it's possible. Because I think you look at this lineup and you see potential. I'll I'll try. Okay. I'll try. Um, so Blue last year had to play with Treats as his jungler and his coach playing as support. True. And of course you're gonna look as like a mid laner, that's quite quite a challenge. It's that's like that's like the ultimate challenge. Because <laughs> mid lane, the only two roles that matter for mid lane are your jungler and your support. So you have a role swap. Look, I love Treats. I think he's a really good support. Uh, I mean a good support, but like but he's not a good jungler, right? And I mean Jezus is not a good support uh or, or he he was back in the day but but isn't anymore right so so you're in that situation you're sick right like uh he had some kind of illness and you know i'm guessing that if your team is getting smashed as well you're probably not very happy um hopefully you're not very happy um so so the so so he was in the worst con- position he can possibly be in he's now back with a coach that you know he gets on really really well with enatron who's a coach from turkey um and he he's comfortable in a region where you could argue that mid lane uh got weaker and whether or not mid lane got weaker doesn't matter right what actually matters is there's the perception that mid lane got weaker which means that that can if you're somebody that relies a lot on confidence and you know you need to be able to play on the limits to be at your best which is what blue does need um then if you have less respect for your opponents then that can make you look a lot better and I think if Blue learns to play with some disrespect and he's had a good chance, you know, because of how they did in lock-in, he can become a really, he can become actually a good mid laner. I don't think he's going to be the best mid laner in the league, but he can be, he can be up there challenging. And River is obviously great. Like everyone knows River is great. The rest of the team, uh, well, you only need a good mid jungle to win. Um, and <laughs> That's not fair. I actually think I actually think Neo's pretty good. I, I think Neo's pretty good. Yeah, it's not fair. Neo's Neo's yeah, he's all right. Good. I, 
but I did vote Neo for for because I couldn't vote for Danny last year. I did vote Neo for my rookie of the of the split. So so yeah, okay. So so they do have they they do have some pieces, um, but it's really going to come down with this team to mid jungle. Uh, and I think if anything, I think you would say that ADC is probably the most stacked position in LCS right now. I think it's pretty yep. easy to say, actually. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is, which which makes it really hard. Like I think it's also part of the meta, right? So so you look at somebody like Wild Turtle, and you know people say, okay, he went to Worlds with FlyQuest and beat top. He did, but he was a weak side. He was kind of playing weak side AD carry, right, with Ignar Roaming and Centaurian playing around mid. Um, and this meta doesn't let you play weak side as AD carry. You have yep. to be able to like it's just it's just a really bad meta. And maybe maybe you know if things change later, we're we're going to see more. Well, the only thing that's going to change more. that is reverting teleport changes right because that's the yeah. biggest factor that enabled people to like perma press or like play super aggressively and push in lane right yep i i agree completely um and it's i think we actually have a lot of really good top laners in this league and sure bipo played well in lock-in but i think that you know in a game where tl uh you plays against uh cloud nine for instance Summit versus Bripo isn't going to matter as much as Berserker versus Hunt Summer. Um, and it's just how the meta is right now. And, you know, it's sad, right? Because obviously, like, I love it when the game is... I love the old TP uh, changes, but because I think current current change makes AD carry really, really strong and support, like, insanely OP. Like, support is the most powerful role right now um, because you can't punish roams from bot lane <clears throat> in the same way that that you could before right so so the yep. the so and it makes mid lane less important and jungler jungle still important but it's more affected by a bot lane so everything is about bot lane right now and you know it's a different way for the game i don't personally like it myself but you know uh, it is it is what it is but 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 if dignitas can find a way to play through that mid jungle mid jungle support uh, trio then then they can be good they can I mean, I don't think they're going to compete for top three, but it's not outside of the realm of possibilities. All it will take is, you know, for a couple of teams to collapse, you know, e.g. being one of those teams, you know, that that that, that can be can be put in those in, in that category. And, you know, maybe they can do well. But River River is is no joke. He's actually he's actually really, really good. Um, Speaking of Wild Turtle, by the way, shout out to the aforementioned Wild Turtle for somehow continuing the steel checks into 2022. That's actually <laughs> impressive. Like, how, how is he the only one who survived the fucking Hunger Games? What? Even <laughs> from who, Jensen, they couldn't hang on. This guy's still here in season 12. Fair play to you, man. I don't know. You, listen, it is because he's a really nice guy as well, but fucking hell. I would never have picked him as the guy in season three, but well, he's still around now. You know, I, I mean, Avramu is still here. Uh, uh, yeah, chilling on FlyQuest, you know, but uh, he's, I think, Yes, 30. I forgot about that. Yes, he turns thirty this year. But Aframu, uh, I think he had a split off at one yes. point in time, and I don't believe Wild Turtle did. You know, it's it's crazy because I remember when Wild Turtle debuted at, I think it was like the IPL showdown. I'm trying to remember where he came in as a substitute mid laner for TSM. Um, and this was pre LCS. And then of course the famous like chaos benching put him in the AD carry role. Um, but he was like, a, he played like Gragas mid like back in the day and, you know, did, did pretty well, but that, I think that was like 2012. Yeah, it must be. So that was 10 years ago at this yeah. point in time that he, he made his kind of professional debut and it wasn't even as an AD player. So credit to him for that longevity. I mean, I think honestly, a lot of it is the fact that he's a very stable and consistent player and he's an excellent teammate. I mean, he's just a really pleasant human being. So I think players enjoy having him around. 
And also, he is just a true veteran in almost the military sense. Like, think about it. His first campaign was like the fucking Battle of the Bulge or something, mate. Yeah, just Reginald this close to his face in fucking back of Tars, just telling him how everything he did is wrong while eating his... That's how I was just having lunch. That's just eating a fucking sandwich. This guy, literally the hairdryer treatment of Alex Ferguson's 24-7 on camera as well, just cocked to the whole world. That's why it's so brilliant when I had him on the crackdown or whatever. And I just said something to him, like, how could you handle like Reginald do a lot? And he just went like, no, nah, I was just used to it by then. So it's that might be the worst thing anyone's ever said about like it's so depressing like, oh, come here baby come here it's gonna be all right it's all right people love you now <laughs> he just he just disassociates from his body dude he just like astral projects into a realm of pure happiness to, to avoid that situation he was just off in his own fucking astral realm where he's playing Earth and he just has unlimited flashes he just that's, when, that's his that's his happy place him on tristana with all the flashes just bunny hopping around the map that's all he's doing <laughs> tragic tragic um do we want to talk about team liquid yeah at let's all? do it uh because you just played obviously the the best of five which was only yep. three games although you probably should have won some of those games we should have won has, game has one to be. Yeah, especially <laughs> game three should've, probably should have won that one yeah. um <laughs> I was I was rewatching those this morning actually before having you on, uh, and I was like, mm, "This is." I mean, and a lot of it was, to be fair, like you know, lock in is kind of a meaningless tournament. Um, you know, Jojo Pian clearly. I mean, you watch those games; he's like clearly like in the wrong place on the map, like randomly dying. And I was like, "Ooh, you know that you can see that he's a rookie." But it's better to, for him to get all of that out of his system like early on and learn those lessons. So I can see how it's you know. It was valuable for you guys overall as, as kind of a, a learning experience. Team Liquid still, despite how good they have looked, uh, has been rotating their roster throughout lock-in. Uh, right now, we're seeing... I think they have to play Hansama Ayla because not... How, how can I put this? Bwipo is a very unique player. And Bwipo currently, like has like 30% of the team's deaths, but he's also the highest damage top laner. And he kind of just like does, he, he's like an all in motherfucker. He plays crazy. He's going in that fight. He's going to do a ton of damage, but he's definitely going to die while he does it. And so I think that swapping out your top laner changes the fundamental style of the team way more than swapping out core J, J does for Isla, uh, for Ayla or Isla, or however you say mm -hmm. it, because yep. the, Obviously, Core JJ is significantly better, but it's not going to warp the game in the same way that Bwipo just like has a gravity well around top lane and just draws everybody into him. Um, and it's and still it, wild though when you say you're taking out the multiple time MVP of the league to just enable Bwipo to fucking <laughs> potentially in top lane. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's what he. That's what he does. Like, I don't know. You, I mean. Team Liquid, they chose this life, Thorin. They chose yes, the Blue life. You, it's like it's like Peter. He chose the inspired life. You know what you're getting. <laughs> yes. It's very naked in in its appeal. It's seductive in many ways, uh, but it can also destroy you. Uh, depends on depends on how it goes. Um, so I, I think like that that factor is is very is very interesting to me. But I think it's the the right choice uh, for TL to make at the present time. I mean, I think, I think, definitely against EG, that's the best that they probably picked the best roster uh, that they could against us. Uh, I could see rosters where you know you put Yeon, Yeon and uh, Corin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you think you can, you know, against certain other teams. Um, but I think against most of the top teams, that's just the roster that they need to play. Um, I would say go back to that series. 
two things from the series. Number one, we played a best of five the day before. Number two, I think there was a lot of hype on EG coming into that, some of which was deserved, some of which was not deserved, right? Because, you know, we'd just beaten Cloud9 3-0, but it wasn't Cloud9's full roster. Then we beat Golden Guardians Academy 2-0, um, which, you know, it's Golden Guardians Academy. Yeah, exactly, cause. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, I think, I, think, I think EG were good, but I don't think we are as good or as close to the finished product as people as people were saying. Yeah, what's in uh, your 70-year-old midler talking all that shit on Bjergsen and talking like he's a fucking thump or whatever? Like, you know? I, like, I can't wait till we go to, I, I, to Worlds and he, like, shit talks faker or something. And, like, oh. he, I, I mean, he's, I, 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 you know, I can't control what, what my 17-year-old uh, uh, midlater tweets. Um, but, but, look. I mean, it, you could, it, you just won't. I just won't. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, don't do it. <laughs> I think it's really funny as well. And he's not—he's one of those guys who I think it's great. You know, he gets mad. Jojo gets mad at me when I'm too soft. So, he, so his first bad day of scrims—I think it was the third day of scrims—we'd smashed the first two days, and then the third day was really bad. And he came to me after scrims and was like, "Why is everyone being so nice to me? You know, like I, I play like shit. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, why, why, why are you guys doing that? You know, do you is think I can't take it?" European. I mean, <laughs> his parents are Korean, so uh, uh, probably just real old school parents in that sense, right? Just, like, people yeah. don't know. Like again, if if people are Westerners and they think this is exaggerated, in Korea, parents will just literally just say it in a matter of fact way to a kid, like "You're a bit fat right now," and you know, why would anyone want you if you can? like? They'll just straight up say that shit just to yeah. That's their approach. They, it's like they're shaming that culture, isn't it? You know? I mean, yeah. you, you can say it. You can say it to even like your friends. I mean, people say it on the yeah. fucking like broadcast of like lck yes. they'll be like wolf have you been eating like wolf the player not wolf the current caster but yeah, they would be like wolf have you been eating too many mandu which are like dumplings right now yeah. and he's like haha i have been it's like it's totally appropriate to comment on people's like performance or yep. or physical uh you know physical appearance but the, the you know i agree and the, but there's two things that i think were, were really important from the they were really big from the tl series right obviously number one our meta read wasn't the best you know, game one, I think that we had like a meta read from scrims because it was a new patch, right? So finals played on a new patch. Cloud9 series doesn't count because it's their academy team. Um, so so it's a new patch. We didn't have the best read of the patch because our scrims, like we won almost every single scrim that week. So we just thought, okay, we can play whatever early game stuff we want. It just doesn't matter. We're just going to win anyway. So I think I think that, that came into it a little bit. Um, I think our second game draft was bad. I think our first game draft was fine. But the fact that the first game was so close led to us being um being pushing the limits more in the second game um and third game when you're zero two like things things change a little bit right um so i think i think that's a little bit on on us as coaching staff something that, that we could have maybe adjusted we did adjust for game three game three was a lot closer it came down to a very close team fight um and i think also you know th those plays that jojo goes for he will go, he's a bit like Jizuke in that sense. He will go for the high-risk place, and sometimes they'll look insane, and sometimes they won't, right? Um, and that's just who he is as a player. Uh, but I, I think, think the, the difference is, is that when, when Jojo dies doing them, unlike Jizuke, half your gold doesn't go with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a pretty big bonus. I mean, <laughs> I, that, that's true. But also, I think, like, Jojo learned a little bit about Bjergsen in that series as well. Because, like, Bjergsen has this... You know, he he he's not going to shit talk in the same way that that uh, that some like Perks or Wonder or Kazi or all these European shit talk. But he was shit talking in his own way, and like that that's 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 that that was good, right? It, it it was good because nobody else was was willing to do it in that entire tournament. 
which yeah, kind of made me a bit at this sad. point in time, you have to understand, it's like in the NBA, he's got the old man game, you know, like he's obviously not the youthful sprite with all the athleticism, but he's just going to back you down the whole way, do a dodgy move that probably should be a foul, and then just beat you 9-8. It'll beat you 9 and you'll go, oh, I almost got him. And it's like, yeah, just join the back of the queue, mate. Really <laughs> and, uh, as you say, you don't straight trash talk him when you're the old wise guy. What you do is you go, you give him a pat on the butt and go, but nice try, young fella, get him next time. And then you just walk off out of the room like a legend. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I you know, there's stuff that Jojo can learn from Bjergsen, but I will say, you know, the way that so I I was watching Bjergsen play in solo queue in in um in Korea, and there are some things that Jojo does in the Silas TF matchup that Bjergsen started doing. Um so in a sense, I don't think it's a one-way thing, but obviously um it's uh it's Jojo has much more to learn from Bjergsen than vice versa, right? But I, I think that having them both in the league, scrimming against each other, playing each other in stage, prepping for each other, is going to make them both better, right? Uh, and, you know, it's a case of how fast can Jojo bridge the gap? So. I think it's really interesting to see how, uh, if, we look at, if we look at kind of Faker's legacy and what we saw from Faker at Worlds, which is that Faker was... And to be fair, in his career, he's oscillated between more carry and supportive styles. Obviously, like the season where he just played Lulu was was very famous, like back in the day, even when he was arguably at his peak. Um, and I mean, even it looks like, you know, last few days he's been fucking around with Soraka, seems like. Uh, now, obviously, LCK was off this last week for Lunar New Year, but who knows if that's going to become a thing. But if Faker played, it wouldn't surprise me at this point in time. But we've already seen like three games of of Zillion from Bjergsen uh, coming into this year. And it just seems like a lot of these players are willingly, and part of it is definitely, as you as you say, stated earlier, that it's very meta-viable to kind of take a backseat as, as a mid laner right now or play that more supportive role. Mm -hmm. But it seems like in Bjergsen's return, we're seeing a lot more of the kind of play that we saw from, from Faker at Worlds, which was really like playing... You know, playing a solid laning phase, uh, you know, being a stable core, and then really enabling a lot of the side lanes through self-sacrifice uh, a lot of the time, mm -hmm. which is, you know, <coughs> although we've seen the Zillion in the past, um, it just, it feels different this time. And it feels more like Bjergsen is is taking that page out of, out of Faker's book at this point in his career. No, I, I think that's fair. Um, the problem is <coughs> that if you are going to play that style, Sometimes it can lead you to being a bit passive in the early game if your jungler isn't willing to go full hyper carry and you know smash smash people right. Um, and Faker always, well, you know, in his later years after Bengi had um, had junglers who were willing to go primary carry right. Um, mm -hmm. And not good ones, but sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, really willing to try it, um, but but you know. It, Santorin, if there's ever been a criticism of Santorin, it's that that's the weakest part of his game. You know, Santorin is considered to be to be the supportive jungler. So, so you can do that kind of thing, but if a team plays against you and says, okay, go play your sport to mid laner, we're going to just play to scale, to outscale you, um, like you could argue 100 Thieves did um, this weekend, um, it can sometimes be a bit difficult to play that play style. Um, doesn't mean it can't be done, but you need to have like uh, like a really psychopath top laner in bot lane, uh, which they do in fairness. So so maybe it can work. Um, but but you need you need 
pressure and agency from your early game juggler, right? Uh, or, or I don't think it works. Uh, but what's your but, take on why Bjergsen is so good on Zillion specifically in LCS? Because for some reason, I've noticed that I've seen other people try the picks and support and mid, but like he does seem uniquely like players don't really know either they don't know what to do against him or they just forget when they play against him specifically. So I think people don't must be telling them going in, watch out yeah. for this, 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 but you can tell they, they forget in the game or something. So <laughs> I, I, I tend not to go hyperbole too much, but like he got murdered in that game three against Jojo. He was like down a level and a half uh, and support roam mid like four times to, to try to three, three times to, to try to salvage that laning phase. Right. Um, so I don't think he's been punished that hard by picking Zillion. But the thing about Zillion is Zillion is really, really good late game in hyper scaling AD carry matters where your AD carry has range advantage. Um, so, but the problem is your laning phase is complete garbage. And because your laning phase is garbage, you're going to be behind in the mid game. So the question is, how do you bridge that gap? And I think the reason he's away, able to get away with it in North America is people don't punish that hard in lane. They're not yep. trying to go for, for 1v1 kills that aggressively or things like this. Uh, and the mid game, too many teams make too many mistakes in the mid game. Uh, and, you know, again, as Monty was saying earlier, we should have won that third game, but we made a mistake, right? So it, it happens. And then Zillion outscales because they have longer range AD carry. Yeah, um, the, pr the primary issue is like Zillion is arguably one of the best late game champs in the game. And so you just can't you can't let him be even or even slightly behind. Like, I think what we saw at Worlds when he tried to play it is like there were just, you know, that was a, a meta where I'm trying to remember back to 2020, but that was a meta where Lucian was an extremely high priority pick and yeah. like Lucian shits on Zillion. And like we saw that when when it, it came to playing against international mid laners. Um, when he tried to make that pick and it's like if you just die a bunch and then they you know the team just you know takes all the objectives and runs all over the map it becomes really difficult to win and i think the silas pick uh to your point about jojo pian being a very good silas player is, is obviously like super good because you can just take the zillion like you have the yeah. same zillion ults in the late game um and it wasn't like you guys definitely should have won game three like the comp yeah. was good the early game but you had a substantial lead in the early and mid game and it was just kind of a throw um, that I assume will be rectified with time, but also it doesn't really matter because it's lock-in, right? Yeah. This is a yeah. learning learning time. Yeah, but you never want to lose 3-0, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, so, so I, I, think that, I think that's the difference. Also, it's a bit about playing against, um, like I'm not convinced we used Zillion ult that many times in that, in that series either. I think it was mainly Zim. So maybe we can adjust a bit how we want to approach team fights and that kind of thing. So. By the way, for the record, my favorite uh, Zillion TSM draft was, of course, the one they had against Gen G, where Bjergsen was made on Zillion and then he just put Spick on Nidalee and just said, have fun with that, mate. Just play against fucking Koreans. Enjoy this game. Nightmare <laughs> yeah. simulator if you're fucking jumping, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that game. Fucking hell. Give me a break. <laughs> 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 Actually, can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing Soraka versus Zillion mid later? Uh, <laughs> week four, when that matchup happens. Oh no, my I'm, god! Please, no. <laughs> you know, people, people. You know, it's a curse monkey paw. You know, you you wish you wish to avoid the corky you yes. the corky victor better, and now you get. The rack of Zillion. Oh man. <laughs> you get you get Ivern. You get Ivern mid. Yeah, now, people, okay. people people better hope that this isn't the meta, guys. You you don't want every game to be Soraka, Soraka, Ivern, you know, Zillion, Jana Smite Top. Like you will be very sad in a few weeks if that's the case. <laughs>
I mean, it's 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 fun now, though. I will say it's really really fun trying to prep for all of these different different things. Um, I I don't know if Riot are going to allow Smite top chatter, but I you know I I don't mind it being a one champion thing. You know, it's I, it's it's not bad being in the game, but maybe that's my my Janna top one trick um, stuff talking. You know, I'd be I'd be sad if they nerf it, but I mean, I know. I I think like at a certain point. It doesn't make sense to allow non-junglers to even select Smite. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> like, it seems I like it's not really controversial change, is it? To just not allow it, Monty. I know. Like, I, I'll always do this. I'll always bring Riot back to their fucking core and all the bullshit they said for the first six years, Monty. Which is, do you remember? They used to famously, their public stance was, even until something mental, like we're talking like season seven or something, they used to claim that they didn't officially recognize the established meta of like one jungler, one top player. They used to pretend for real as though at any time in history it was Dota and you could have done like funnel matters like even though this was absolute nonsense and they constantly kept like changing the game so you couldn't do all this innovative stuff but they used to pretend that they didn't even acknowledge those roles existed Monty. like just have at it and play the game like that was so whack wasn't it like it's, it's, right. it's the easiest way to fix the game it's it's also I mean it, it lines up with the rest of their philosophy because being owned by Tencent they don't really recognize the sovereignty of Taiwan either so you know it, it yeah. all it all lines up at least they're it's keeping it real like this <laughs> you're not allowed to go back to china at this point in time it's over <laughs> and also quite frankly after what fucking tsm did with sword art not sure any americans should ever be fucking looked to by taiwan for help ever again so happy now that he's back on of weibo course. like honestly, he he every single game he's on oh, stage he's smiling he's joking around yeah. you know, he's so so happy and exactly. like you know he, he he came he came to you have to respect him you know he came to north america he got his he got the bag <laughs> he got the bag and the yeah. rumor is the rumor is that they had to pay a termination clause as well so three he probably got like five or something and then yeah and hey, 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 players maybe, maybe find a maybe maybe you should work with sword arts agent that's all i'm gonna say that guy <laughs> yeah. seems pretty rad he like, got a good deal you just have to respect it no i mean you, you can't even be can't even be mad <laughs> uh so uh, to go back to your point, though, uh, like when we talk about role, like creating roles or saying like smite can only be used on the jungler. I think, you know, the the idea of role queue, the idea of hard locking roles is probably the best thing that ever actually happened to League of Legends right. because you actually had definitive positions. Right. And we saw what happened in like the mage bot meta when AD carries had to play that like what a disaster it is to like go away from those roles and like how deeply unsatisfying it is to a viewer um or even the players because you, the expectation can't change that much except in the jungle because riot thinks they can just do whatever the fuck they want in the jungle every year although this year is i would say is an exception because we've actually seen the fewest jungle changes probably ever uh 
between last year. Listen, and without year. mages in the bot lane, Europe wouldn't have an MSI, so I'm cool with it. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Like, I'm cool. That moment, that was one of my favorite moments in League of Legends history was when in game five, if no one knows the history of League of Legends, even if you get like a couple of games up, you get tied in the series. Every, there's plenty of teams have done that with the top Korean teams, but no one goes to game five and actually thinks going in the draft, like, we're going to win this game. That was the one moment I saw when they did that draft in G2 and they did the sync bit, that it was actually the Koreans who were sort of looking like, shit. And then that's actually how the game went for them. For once, they were on the back foot. It was like we took all the way back to the Moscow five days, mate. It was glorious. It was glorious. That one moment where they actually, they were the ones sweating. I loved it. Yeah. No, I mean, it was it was really fun. I mean, we even picked Zillion into FPX at, at Worlds. I think it was the next year. No, not Zillion. Uh, Vega, Vega, Bob. So, and they didn't look like they knew how to play against that either. Um, so, so, it was... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I like this whole variety. Uh, the smite top thing. I, I mean, I'm I, I like Jana top. I, I'm really, really biased. Look, yeah. You don't have look. You don't have to have smite for the Jana top thing to work. You, I mean, it's yeah. better with it, but I think it's not technically necessary because that's not what the the purpose is. Like, it's much more annoying if they're walking into your jungle and spiting things, right? But at the end of the day, it's about the efficiency of support items and funneling yeah. gold onto carries yes, or the yeah, two. Like, Smite is like third on the hierarchy of and, why it's good. And the TP changes. I mean, it's worth saying that, you know, it's uh, that there's a world currently where you can play zero TPs, which is, I don't think makes the game interesting. I think if, if you have teams that are playing with zero TPs in the, in the mid game, you know how the game is going to play out, and I don't think I think having globals makes the game more complex and more interesting. So um, I agree with that. So that's. Are you, are also, you okay with the current compromise, though? No, I, I mean personally, I, I love Jonathan. Essentially, I mean just 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 go back to just go back to the old TP. I mean that, that's it. I, I don't think it's going to happen because somebody probably really invested in this new. Uh, the, the the system as it is now, it's probably good for solo queue. It's dude not that good. that that reminds me. That reminds me. So uh, <laughs> we we had the the chemtech uh, Drake changes um, <laughs> that occurred that went like live when they removed it while we were on the last episode. So we didn't actually get to like track a lot of the you know what was Did going see, on. Though, what was the, being the said. joke is they're essentially making the chemtech Drake effect just like an ability of another champion or something like because it's classic <laughs> riot fashion, you know. <laughs> So yeah, so the, the whatever I forget her name, the new the new champion, the new support champion. Oh, yeah. uh, um, but what was funny uh, about what you're saying, Peter, about them being like really invested in the TP change. So first off, I don't think they'll revert it simply because they they have always they they killed lane swaps because they wanted it to be more like solo queue. They don't want you know five people like five v five fiestas in the bot lane at eight minutes into the game um where these leads snowball crazily like they want tp to be used like it is in solo queue which is as a tool to get back into lane if you're a top laner or a mid laner and then only later in the game to be used for flanks or like you know these kind of like split push plays so i don't i don't think they'll ever get rid of that for that reason so on a separate note one of the funniest things that i saw was i was uh i was uh losing brain cells by looking in the reddit thread about the chemtech Drake removal. And there was somebody from Riot in there, like begging people to be nice because people spent a lot of time at Riot working on Chemtech Drake and to consider their feelings. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, first off, 
if you spend a lot of time doing something and it's bad and people are like, this is bad, why can't you just be like, well, I just made a mistake and it was bad. Too bad I spent all that time doing it. But it's this is like riot in Los Angeles culture in a nutshell, which drives me fucking insane, which is like you can't even reasonably criticize things without people getting extremely emotional and like upset and personally offended by it to the degree that rioters now have to go in these threads and protect other people from saying good i'm glad it was removed I, it was a bad change what do you expect you bring up drake being shit they're gonna get in their feelings aren't they that's a reference <laughs> for the kids there for the down with the, down with the culture you know like, years old even that reference I don't mind more, whatever, whatever. Drake, drake the the the, the rapper, artist, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> same picture me. We're, we're totally. We know what's going on. We know what's going on. The Boomer, Boom, Boomer show is from Boomers. What can you say? <laughs> um, uh, Drake, yeah. Uh, so, so I, I do think, I do think sometimes people get a bit. Uh, uh, no, I just thought it was wild. I just thought it was wild because like, I didn't even see anybody necessarily being disrespectful in that thread. It was mostly just a party of like, yes, we didn't like it. It was dumb. Get rid of it. Thank you, Riot. It was mostly thank you, Riot, for realizing your mistake. And this is Riot's like, please, can you, can someone please think of the children I rioters? Know. I know. <laughs> it's just the clutching at pearls. I but know. like, this is the thing is that on, these Riot. people get so attached to these ideas because I guess they don't have another identity that's not like, League of Legends for whatever reason that it's like attacks the core of their being and it sends them into some sort of like existential crisis like it, it <laughs> the criticism from Reddit just like puts them into the shadow realm or something like that how, and the how other rioters have to go out there and protect them how indulgent are these designers that they're like this shall be my legacy the chemtech Drake like <laughs> you know what Drake's don't care about your feelings Riot I mean I will I will say last year what they had last year with the um, the meta going into worlds and into the end of summer was actually one of the best metas that writers had. Uh, yeah, like they had you know when when oh, it was recent. It's going into it, yeah, yeah. You you could play all of these different champions. Like even going into worlds, maybe Yumi was a bit OP, but like you know it was in a good place. And sometimes you know changing things is not for the best. Uh, but look, you're talking that, to two guys who seasons. <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking to two guys who love games that don't get patches. So you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, catch up, catch up, catch up, gold, and um, yeah, new Drakes, and only one. And actually, I like the new. I like Hextech, so I think Hextech's fun. Yep, I, I mean, it, it's it too powerful, fun. but you know, <laughs> they can dial it back a little bit, and I think it'll be okay. Uh, but I, I think for the most part, like for, for me, this year has been really exciting because of the, this is the fewest changes we've seen in quite some time, which means that we have a more stable meta, uh, from year to year. And like, we talked about this last year, but I think one of the most frustrating things from the team side is that you have to make player signings before you even know what the results of the preseason changes are, which is just a fucking insane way to run a professional sport. And you can just roll the, you know, you can make good signings, but if, if it just reverses the style of your team that you had intended or, you know, we're planning based on the previous year or even your assumptions about what the preseason might contain, it becomes a, unreasonable to GM, which is why we talked a lot last year about how many teams are making changes from spring to summer, because it was only at that point that you could make an informed adjustment to your roster or your play style. Sure. 
Um, the other thing that that you can also add is, you know, if you're going to add something as big as catch-up gold, just release the formula. Like, I mean, I have I have analysts who should be helping me scout future teams, trying to work out the formula for catch-up catch-up gold. Like when objective bounties, um, when objective bounties give that, you know, how much they give, what levels they give, you know, that that formula just hasn't been released. And I have to send somebody to go and try to calculate that. It's well, ridiculous. it changes based on game length too. Like, no, it changes on game length. It changes like yep. against TSM, we were 3000 gold ahead and they were triggering, right? Yep. But then, no, I saw I, that. I, I, I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? It's only 3K. <laughs> yeah. I've seen two and a half K as well. Yeah. And I, I've seen games with 4.9 where it hasn't. So, so I've got no idea what's going on. Just, just tell me what it is, right? Like, you know, I understand you need to change things to make the game fresh and, you know, I, I personally, as a coach, I would prefer it if things weren't patched and you just allow people to find their solutions to Janatov or to Ivan Mid or, you know, I, I, I personally prefer that. I prefer the model that Dota has where they do the major patch twice a year or something and, and then they just let people work things out or let the meta develop. But obviously I, mean, I would say that. We would, we would never have gotten any of the <laughs> awesome storylines in StarCraft 1 if they had patched yeah. because yeah. a lot of the things that were considered OP were broken by yeah. all-time great players. And that was yeah. what made those fucking players exciting. That's yeah. what made them great, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. The problem they also tend to have as well, if you notice, it's not even just the idea that you patch. It's that they patch way too quickly. Like from my experience, I'd say it takes like six months to properly flesh a patch out. Two or three months in when it feels to everyone else. Like basically the premise is, it's like a bit like, I'll give you an analogy. If you work out in the gym, everyone knows if you work out properly, you get a second wind, right? So you'll feel, your brain and everything will be telling you, oh, I'm exhausted, I'm done. But you know, if you push through that, you actually get the second wind and that might be, you might be able to do more workout at that point in time. It's like that on the patch. The moment it always feels two or three months in like ah they've explored everything this is op there's nothing that's nearly always when someone finds the counter that just destroys it entirely makes a new yep. paradigm i agree and the only tournament where that is allowed to happen is what and they're trying to shorten worlds so i mean oh what 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 <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna sprinkle that in there like that's what's amazing news <laughs> what is six weeks on the same patch right and this year worlds was four weeks no, oh, it was I a just... lot shorter. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. I think it was like the first so week. So group stage, right? I, I think that was just because of the the movement. To, oh, so you might know things we don't know, but I think that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. To be clear, okay. like I'm I'm just a coach. I'm not GM. Like that's that's GM and ownership level stuff, right? I, so I know, right? so I, fair, I, I look the, at the roster EG and I hope he knows things I don't know, Monty. I just hope. <laughs> I think uh, I, so. I think that that was a cause of the fact that Worlds was moved to Europe this last year, and they oh, had see, to right, shorten it. Um, cause like the, the, everything was hyper condensed Maybe. this, Maybe. this last year. Um, there wasn't like a break between the, the plans and groups, the groups were condensed themselves. Um, the, the main event did go by in four weeks this year. Mm -hmm. It yeah. was all contained. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember exactly, but yeah, I, I think it was just because of the COVID restrictions and the movement of the tournament because i think they had to begin it later because they moved it obviously yeah. so i'm hoping i'm hoping that was a logistical thing yeah. and and not a uh, a permanent thing yeah although yeah, they can shorten worlds as long as they just <laughs> add double elimination like they can shorten the time frame because god knows that in the last two weeks when there are only three best of fives to play you could jam you know a double limb bracket in there relatively easily like they do yeah. a ti yeah yeah, I mean, double limit is at every other tournament except what? Um, 
And and Ryan's other games like Valorant, crazy. Crazy that only the most important tournament they run can't be double elimination. Weird how that works. Yeah, it's the, 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 there's no time in the schedule. Um, uh, but but yeah, no, no I, I agree. But again, just going back to the patch thing, that's my personal preference. But obviously I'm going to say that because I'm working on the competitive side. I'm sure they have numbers somewhere that says that, that for solo queue, this is the right way to patch it and the right amount to patch it. So, you know, they have the numbers. I don't have the numbers. So. I think they just love to conform the average player experience to the professional experience. I think that's that's their that's their number one priority when it comes to esports. Balance. Which is wild when you consider. I'm pretty sure I speak for a lot of people in the audience that you can enjoy watching the pro game, but when you go home, maybe I'll give Solo Q a try. Why was I trying that? Let me scratch my own eyes out, and then I'll wait and make the same mistake. Wait, so you've gone the wrong way, you idiots. If anything, make it less like the bloody Solo Q experience, aka one of the worst top professional esports individual casual play experiences probably in history yeah. it's unbelievably or, bad isn't it compared or, to any other game yeah or just make annie so op that it's good to pro you know easy what or do you want to see at Waltz. <laughs> i mean yeah true, true true they had to ban it They're like the exactly. world champions that's how op that shit was <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> But even Bandit did literally in LPL mid laner and they almost won the series <laughs> off. The joke is LS actually was the fucking architect of the Matrix all those years ago. And now we're finding out the truth and now he's in Bloody Cloud 9. Reality can't be real at this point in time. Like, Someone did mean, just get all the fucking reality store or whatever, didn't they? Like ruin the whole thing. <laughs> the thing the thing about LS is that the the, the problem that fans are gonna realize is that it really is like a monkey's paw problem if he's right. Because if he's right. You don't want to see that meta, guys. Like that's, oh, cost you, you know, it's fun now, but it's not going to be fun in in two months. It's going to be horrible. And he can win games. It, 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 maybe he'll keep winning games. I I think that probably teams are going to get used to the the style of drafts that he's doing and figure out some shit in order to beat it. Uh, I mean, God knows, EG almost already did. Uh, so I, I really, I really, you guys, you guys don't actually want him to be right. I think and him weird. being right would be very unfun for everyone. <laughs> in the same fashion in which Monty used to get tilted when people used to actually try and pretend like Genja was the Time Lord with the fucking the Trinity Force Cogmo, which was objectively bad at the time he used it, but later and totally other means that he couldn't have known about it became good. In the same way I saw people were trying to go like, "Do you see LS banned Renekton? It's like that that take was specific to like 2019 or something. Yes. Thing. It's not know. supposed to just hold forevermore. Like he's not he's not never again in his entire career ever. Allowed to consider Renekton a viable champion, is he? Like, it's obviously based on context and history for fuck's sake. Come on, guys. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's a very it's a very funny meme. Like, uh, when people memeing Renekton ban against CG. But but look, to be clear, the meta isn't great. But I once coached a team called Splice that would go to sixty minutes every single game with Janna or Zillion support and win the game off that. And you know, if 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 you make me win. I'll make a joke. I'll you know I'll make this super high mechanical, you know, really talented mid laner, and I'm gonna put him on Soraka and Ivan every game if that's the way you want to go, right? 
and mm-hmm. you know you won't get to see the Lisa highlights, you won't get to see the Silas highlights. But if I need to, so fucking hostage mentality is that like you you won't like me when I scale? Don't make me scale. Don't make me have to do this. I will scale. And, yeah, I mean, if that's what you need to do to win, that's some sort of fucked up Incredible Hulk or something. <laughs> I, I I will say I tweeted this too. Is that the one the one piece of nostalgia that uh, that LS comps have brought back to me was when League of Legends had more than a one second time to kill, which is like I I perversely very much enjoyed Berserker just like yes. flying around on Aphilios, you know, actually being able to use abilities and like do things like reap like. What is repositioning in a team fight? Do you guys remember how that worked, where yes. you could actually like move for more than three seconds? Well, it doesn't just get one shot instantly. Four <laughs> do, you, seconds do, you remember, in do you remember what happened when people could use like a spell rotation more than one time? Like, so I was enjoying it. I, I will admit, I was I was enjoying that aspect of it. Was I was the draw yeah. the more drawn out like repositioning multiple uses of spell team fights as opposed to the team fight just ending in a blur uh, like no. before you could even really blink it's like well he didn't flash so now yep. he is cc chained forever and dead yeah i mean if we go back i i agree completely with you but uh you know i i pray we never go back to siver as the uh, what was the game? Jinna versus SK was it SKT at the time? Seventy-five minutes, you know. <laughs> what was it? Six hundred. There's a balance. There's a balance. Look, there's a balance. I, there's a balance. I just I just miss team fights that like lasted longer than four seconds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I agree. Ninety-five minutes. There you go, Papa Smithy in the chat. <laughs> The dream, the dream. No, I there. I think the, the pendulum's just swung too far the other direction. And Riot said like, oh, the, the Chinese players, which is their majority of their player base, right, enjoys the super fast time to kill. But I don't even really, you know, it's, it's just not, it's just not my jam. It's, I, I prefer being able to be more methodical and have some level of back and forth in team fights as opposed to, the instant decision making that often dictates how a team fight will go these days. Yep. I think that's I think that's fair. Is that it? Is that the end but, of this no. segment? <laughs> <laughs> talk about LEC. I don't know if Peter wants to talk about LEC or not. I mean if you want me on to talk about LEC, I watch all the LEC games. There, there we go. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Um, cause I, I, I think we, I, we, we hinted at it earlier, but I think we have to talk about rogue obviously, because it's such a strange story in the context of not only league of legends, but I think in broader esports, where you could potentially, you could lose what would basically have been considered last year, your two best players. I think that's fair to say that. And then you come out with a completely opposite style and to rogues credit. I think there is, there's a lot of. There's a lot of kind of bad narratives that follow certain rogue players, especially Larson, who radically changed his style last year, but still is like cast as this control mage player, even though I think Lucian was his most picked uh, champion all of last year. Uh, And they were playing more for the early game as opposed to the late game. And like the meme went from, okay, they're going to win late to they throw late. Like it was it was a very big switch. So we point is, is we've seen players make these switches before who have been on this roster, but and, and I have to say, I was critical of Malrong for some, there were definitely some, like, I would say diving or like coordination issues in the first couple weeks of play of the LEC that have largely been cleaned up right now. But what's so interesting to me is what I hinted at earlier, which is like, 
if you look at a lot of the statistics surrounding these players and what their jobs are in these teams, they have basically completely 180'd uh, when it comes to that jungle style. Whereas if you pull up like the summer stats, mm -hmm. right, um, from LEC and you look at Inspired, he is leading the league in like <laughs> CS percentage taken of his team by his, you know, from his team after 15 minutes. You know, he is at the top of the board when it comes to like CS differential. You know, he's, he's up and in, in leading in many of these categories, or at least in the top part of the league. And now we're looking at a full round robin having been played in LEC and these categories basically reversing where Malrong is despite having won every single game mm -hmm. is at the very bottom. Like when it comes to CSD at 10, I mean, it makes sense if you watch the games. <laughs> sure. Yep. Yeah, it does. It makes, absolute like, sense it, it, makes it makes absolute sense. But to go from a player like inspired, who is so much about maximizing value of pathing and creep score for himself and like trying to make himself bigger and get incremental advantages to a player like Malrong, who is just so much more proactive in helping his lanes and being aggressive on his own, is quite the switch for many of these players to make. Sure. No, I, I agree. <clears throat> I think that, that we have an interesting dynamic, though, because I think in modern League of Legends, like historically, your weak side player was always your worst player, right? It, just in your team. You just didn't give it resources because he wasn't good enough to carry. But I think that now, as the general base has gotten better, it, the thing that's interesting when we're studying teams is who is the person, who is the low resource person on this team, and how are they making use of their low resource? Are they a defensive low resource player? Are they low resource because they're just perma roaming all the time and things like this? Uh, you look at Caps back in the legendary G two, right? Caps was often bottom of statistics because he was roaming so much with his with his early priority for perks or for um, for wonder. Um, and you just see the same sort of thing here with with Malrang. He's the low resource guy. He's the one that has to make do with the least. Um, and uh, Rogue are finding a way to to play around that, right? Um, and sometimes when you look at super teams, having a person who is a low resource player in a role that is bad for the meta or in a role where the player is uncomfortable can make the team look really, really bad and i think this is one of the issues you have with vitality right now which we can talk about later um but but no with rogue i think that he's he's finding ways to make it work people will study people will will will, will um will, will work out how to counter it and it's just it, it's been really interesting and obviously larson looks a lot better this year than he did last year right? i think also there there's there are some other kind of weird narratives that are going on about Rogue right now that I'm not sure are really true. Like a lot of people are saying, well, Odo Omne is like carrying a lot more of the weight. But if you actually look at the resources he's getting, it's basically the same. What's fascinating is all of the resources are going to comp mm -hmm. effectively. Like they are funneling comp really hard on Rogue, which goes to your point about teams that are successful in this meta have been for the most part, you know, your, your team, including included choosing to funnel resources into 80 carry roles. Like that yeah. is, I think around the world on this patch that we've seen so far, again, we, we haven't seen LCK and LPL in a couple of weeks now or a week over a week. Um, but that has been kind of true. And that is certainly something that, that rogue is, is focusing on as a whole. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And it's, it's been, 
it's been it's been interesting to watch, and obviously teams haven't worked out how to counter this yet, right? So maybe this is just the way to play jungle this season. Like Dig Dignitas, we talked about Dignitas early. It's the same sort of thing with River, right? He's I, I don't know if he's bottom, but he's doing a lot of ganking, uh, and it's been very effective for the team. You know what's interesting about Comp actually, and I don't think that this has come out, um, is that Comp takes the highest percentage of CS after 15 minutes of any player in the LEC. He takes over 35% of the CS, which is outrageous in terms of resource allocation. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I I mean, I I agree. It's it's, it's insane. Uh, And also, like, the thing about Comp is Comp is always... He's always been one of those guys that had really high mechanics, but didn't really have, um, wasn't really that good at working. Player, in the right? two- yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I'm also a bit quiet in the 2v2. So, so you know, it, he's one of those guys you need to set up for success. And I think Vitality, you know, they dropped him for Crown Shot uh, because Crown Shot was more yes. vocal. Um, but I don't think he was bad on Vitality either. So, so here, he's a guy that, that maybe was a bit unlucky with how things worked out. I think he was scapegoated a bit. Um, or maybe yes. not actually I don't think he was even scapegoated like because when you have leader in self-made you want to play through leader in self-made it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah so he was the guy he was the guy who got who got lost out for it and now now that he's on Vogue he's he's performing really really well so you know fair fair I'll just thing. say as much as people ragged on those vitality teams that finished badly I will say first of all the one with Melitza like obviously you didn't even get there for like the first fucking split so but you've got to give him a pass for that one and then the second thing is like you just look at the bottling that they had that was Comp and Labrov now you look at them separately on different teams like you can see why they picked those players up like those were clear players from the RLs that were supposed to come to the LEC it's just for whatever reason there was either a mismatch or they couldn't make them work in the team it was the wrong meta whatever this is why though you don't just like give up on players instantly when they actually have real potential you know because someone eventually like this is going to roll the die and they're going to get they're going to be the guy who gets to win the lottery from having that player you know yeah it's about team balance (laughs) and you know i mean that that's kind of thing as well that you saw you saw with rogue maybe a bit uh sure finn finn was never an insane i mean finn's still is still in in lcs but lec sorry but like when when they moved to oduamne it didn't the skill level of the team got better, but the gameplay of the team didn't necessarily get better. Um, but they were just, they had more ability to just like outskill players. Um, so outskill enemy teams. So, so I think team balance is really important. No, I agree with you completely. You talk about vitality. You are. <laughs> okay. I've got, I've got, I've got a question for you. And he goes like this. And I'll ask it just in a totally neutral manner. Which goes, if anyone read Reddit only last year, don't ever do this, by the way. Like, essentially, the joke would be this would be like an alien's alternate version of reality if he only consumed Reddit to understand what was going on in the world of League of Legends. But if someone did do that, Peter, they would genuinely think that Perks is this player who just went to NA for the retirement home. He's washed as fuck. He essentially just check stealed the whole year, tripped over, and somehow got out of the hardest world's group ever. Who knows how he did that? I know his fans just changed their mind to hating on Doinby instead. Like, he got no credit for doing it. And then obviously this year when he comes back to Europe, people would actually say, especially after week one, maybe he's washed. Maybe there's, you know, maybe he's lost his magic. Maybe something's gone. So what do you think about the Vitality Project in this sense? Because it seems like he's after week one, he's resurrected his whole bloody career. He's back to being like a top mid laner. Yeah, I mean he looks insane again. He he he's he's comfortable playing with his jungler, you know. Uh him and him and uh 
and yeah and the two of them together are, are just just playing really really well i think the problem with this vitality team though is that they it's obvious if you have alfari on your team and you have kazi on your team you want kazi to play weak side and you want yep. uh you want alfari to play strong side awesome. and this meta is not that you cannot do that right now so I'm you have to catch a fucking break, can he? Man, I hate <laughs> all time. It's like, mate, I want to be the best top player on my team like, in, in like the league for about like the next three or four years. Like, yep, yeah, well, yeah. Then, whatever. You can't catch a break, mate, can he? Nuke Doug dives off a clay fucking. <laughs> literally replaced him with someone called Jenkins because the coach just lost his bloody mind. I can't, I can't catch a break ever, can he? He can't ever catch a break, is it? Then he goes to Europe. Oh, sorry, we're going to have to funnel our resources into Czech Snot's Parsi. So, <laughs> I mean, they're not doing that, either. to be fair. <laughs> That's what it feels like, isn't it? Like, but it's, it's, super, like. it's super interesting, though, that TL picked him up because the TL roster, because, you know, often teams have like a culture or something yes. like this. And the TL roster last year was Core JJ, Tactical, Jensen, uh, and Centurion. So I don't know too much. I, I think Jensen is, is a, a bit as well. But though the other three players are huge grinders in solo queue they play like solo queue non-stop you know core core and tactical i think have the most solo queue games played on the entire server and then you bring in afari who basically doesn't play solo queue doesn't care about it likes to play one-to-ones or watch vods and things like this and you can understand how when results don't go to plan you look at the guy who's playing the least solo queue right like, uh, like it's just it's easy it's okay. to I, you know perks is used to dealing with one so i mean it, <laughs> he's already had that experience <laughs> but, but now, now he's back in eu nobody cares like you know if you're a player that doesn't like solo queue in eu provided you keep your level up nobody cares uh, I, I... What I think is so funny about watching Vitality right now is like I was watching that Astralis game and even though they were getting bodied, I just knew Vitality was going to win that game. Like I just knew they would figure out a way to do it, even though like what's so what's so annoying is that this cavalier attitude that they have to the game, like they make such stupid mistakes like if you look at the Alfari like self-made, like they're clearly like not even talking to each other at times or, or ma like making aggressive cross map plays while people like you would never do that. Like it's just objectively dumb. Right. And it seems like their communication just, it feels like when they play Astralis, they just don't give a shit. And so they're just going to do whatever they feel like, no matter what the circumstances. And then in a way they then have to salt, you know, dig themselves out of the hole that they're, they've put themselves in, which is objectively, I think hilarious to watch oh, because, yeah, oh. because it's almost like they're playing with their food a little yes. bit or seeing what they can get away with. But it, it got pretty dire in that game. And I, I think even though they are so good pound for pound, and I think, People are going to look at this roster and they're going to say, or they're going to look at these games and they're going to be like, is this team actually good? But I think that when push comes to shove, I think when you get to the playoffs, this team is extremely dangerous and they'll, sure. they'll, you know, they'll tighten everything up. We know they know how to do that. It just feels like they just don't care in some of these games. And I think they, I think they cared about doing badly at first, but I think that they've hit their own stride and they know what they're capable of and they know how they can come back into these games or at least make it competitive, even when they make terribly stupid mistakes. Um, and so they're just okay with it, I guess. Yeah. Like that, that, that's, a, that's a feel that I get when watching them play, because I know that all of these guys should know better and yet it still happens. And the only the only thing I can attribute it to is just not giving a shit. 
I mean, it was also a strategist, right? Like, you, you know. Well, I mean, that's. I think that's why they didn't give a shit. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's legitimately hard for these players to be motivated in that game. Yeah, it's true. Actually, who? Okay, so no, I, I was just trying to think who from the who from that team has won because a lot of those. But now I can think of it. Only Kazi and Perks won LEC from that team because yes. Afari Afari didn't win. No, self me, self me. No, no, he he finally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see how he goes in playoffs. Um, but it's really, it, it's quite. It, it, I, I agree. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think they give a shit. I know that there's certain players on that team who have been in team environments where you know it's okay to mess around a bit in the regular season, right? Like Kazi, right, it's Perks has won for the last splits he fucking played in. Like he just yep. knows it turns around when it comes to playoffs. Of course, yeah, that last two weeks you yep. have to just get your shit together. Yeah, but the scary thing is, like with Perks, you always know that playoff Perks is different. But for some reason, playoff Perks is playing in regular season, and that, that's that's really impressive thing. Maybe it's because so many people were shitting on him that it now you know there's some there's a certain type of player. I think like Kaiser's one of those guys. Humanoid is one of those guys who the more high stakes a game is, the more they can like get invested in it. Uh, and you know, there they are. Like for those players, you know, having drawing extra attention on, maybe maybe Poke, maybe Pokes is one of the I like I, I assume he, he might be. Uh, you know, you add you add that extra attention, you get the people to flame a bit, you know. It, really motivate you right so, so so maybe it's that we'll see but also i'll just say if you're one of those lcs fans who just hates on and prays on the downfall of all the top eu stars when they come over think it through a second so they're straight fire in europe not only winning domestically but they go to worlds they're doing shit msi's they're in finals worlds semis finals they come to lcs are you following the story yet guys then in lcs they're sort of a bit shit and underwhelming but then they go back to europe and they're really good again that doesn't say that they're the shit ones by the way i don't know if you understand like logic of that but that actual, <laughs> yeah. that ab testing actually implies some other group of people are pretty shit and bring everyone's <laughs> level down. I mean, Do you see what I'm doing with that? Like, I think I've said it pretty well there. I think I think yeah. I checks out. No, checks out. I, I agree completely. It's about bluffing, right? Like, if you if you are playing against good opponents, you yes. can bluff much more. Whereas you try to bluff against some guy who like doesn't understand why you're doing something. Yeah, yeah. But then they, they they just kill you, and you look like real. You look really stupid. Um, so, got an analogy for you. It's why I actually think Reddit is full of people complaining about how bad, like, you know, the whole reason Elo Hell really exists is this problem. The worst thing you can do if you're a bad player about League of Legends is watch all the pro games all the time because you think you understand what they're doing and then you go into your fucking silver game and try to do those plays. A, you can't pull them off. B, you are misapplying them. And C, there is no universe your teammates are going to follow up on those plays like the pro games. So you're going to hear your brain go, well, I was doing everything right it's like no actually for your level you were playing completely wrong because as peter said there you're the equivalent of some like guy who watches high stakes poker fucking like table and you're seeing some godlike fucking online player who's played eight eight hundred thousand hands doing some next level bluff that would only work on another amazing and you just go into your local cash game with bob from the hardware store and then you're like all in and he's like well i got a pair so i call what the fuck i won and you're just play the game it's like you don't know how to play the game you play the game, not the bloody hand <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and, you know, I think that was Perk's issue when he came to North America. I mean, also how people, how teams play around jungle, how teams play around mid support, mid jungle. You know, those kind of things alter alter by region. They alter by team as well. Um, so, so I think I think the people that tend to come over to North America and look good are the teams that 
are the players that you just get for laning, right? Uh, and uh, that's why Alfari, I thought Alfari looked a lot better than any of the players. Yeah. Before playoffs, before playoffs, before worlds. Uh, and yeah, that's because of that's because of how how his laning, the fact that he's so good in lane and he doesn't need outside resources. Yeah, but but you know, I, I maintain to this day if Caps, well, I mean, Caps looks like he's falling off a bit now, although he's still. We say he's falling off, but he's still like a top four mid laner in, in yeah. Europe. You know? <laughs> uh, but if he came to North America, I think he would struggle, at least initially in North America. So, I want to we'll ask about a player you're, you're quite familiar with, with which is Humanoid. Yeah. Um, because this guy was probably one of the like, hottest potential pickups for any team in the world. Um, really sought after in both uh, LEC and LCS. Any team feels like they would have been lucky to have him. So he makes the swap, and he's been... Underwhelming. He's been a bit underwhelming compared to, I would say, the expectations or his his previous success because it it felt like and by underwhelming i mean fanatic is still six and three so like <laughs> you know there's a there's a limit to how underwhelming it could be but if you had to look at this this fanatic roster right now it feels like razork and humanoid are probably the most underwhelming parts of it when some people probably would have expected that to be wonder at the yes, start yeah. of at the start of the year I'm, i mean he's going to be fine like you know i work with the guy for three years two two years two years um but the uh but when when playoffs comes or when he's against somebody who who who's really been built up he his motivation and like his 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 ability to play the game it's it's really crazy just goes up right because like the first time he played against he when he joined a, a, a LEC, um, EU LCS, I think it was at the time. He got uh, he w- he was really invested in something new, new higher level. Okay, got to put full effort in all the time. But he needs uh, what's the term? People call it like adrenaline junkie, no? Uh, the, the the term where where you need to you need to feel it before you can you can really get into the game. Unless he has to have like a fight or flight response, and then he, yeah, exactly. he, he starts to attack in or something. Yeah, exactly. He, he'll be he'll be fine by players. <laughs> like I mean, there's no question. Like and. Humanoid's knowledge for the game. He watches like a huge amount of league. He doesn't play that much solo queue compared to compared to uh, some others. You know, like uh, a Caps or somebody will play sixty games a week. I'm like Humanoid will play twenty or something, right? Um, but he will. But he will go and watch a ton of games. He has really good in-game knowledge. But it's just a case of how motivated he is. And you know, for some players, that motivation just matters, right? And he he'll be he'll be fine by players. Like I mean, there's no question. Because the other thing is as well, when it was last year especially, like a lot of people, the other reason they were giving him props is they looked at the team and they were like, right, if you look at how he's playing and all these stories about him being like the leader when they were all the rookies with him and the fact that like he's someone who studies the game, a lot of people made it sound like he was like the essence of Mad Lions. But I have to say, mate, this maybe it's going to change for playoffs. But since I've seen him go to Fnatic and I look at all the different versions of Mad Lions, it looks like Kaiser probably more fits that role if you look at the guy who like seems to define the style of the team. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I, I think this is the same thing that you're going to see on any team, right? When when you re- so humanoid was the core of that Mad Lions team, right? Like I I don't know what the so I haven't really been following narrative outside, but but you cannot have humanoid on a team and not have him be the core of the team because he's just like a natural leader. He's like one of those guys people would just follow into into battle and you know throw themselves against spikes, you know, or something to 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 make it work um but 
Uh, I think now that he's gone, it's become more an Aluya and Kaiser because they're the veterans on the team now, right? So, so they're the guys who are going to have the voices. Armut doesn't have that personality um, from from what I've seen. So, and but Aluya does, and Kaiser does, and yeah, they get to dictate how the game is being played. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Unforgiven uh, is he was not one of the most hyped rookies coming in, but I would be shocked if Kaiser wasn't didn't have a large say in which which AD carry he wanted to play. I don't think Mad Lions would just pick up pick up an AD carry uh, like that. Uh, and yeah, he's he's looked really good as a result. I mean, obviously Meta helps a, a bit as well. So by the way, along these lines, since obviously you're someone who knows the historical side of the game and many many years of Europe, etc. Traditionally, it's one of the reasons I made that like rule, which I did intentionally phrase to sound like I was saying Nemesis was shit. But if you actually assess the statement, it's actually about how hard it is to win a ULCS. Where famously yeah. I said to win LAC, typically you have to be a truly great mid laner because technically the worst person who'd ever won was like prime Febovin. If we're talking about contrasting against their eras or whatever, right? I obviously constructed that to make it sound like Nemesis shit, but. Just, that's just a talent I have as yeah. a byproduct of making a totally legitimate statement that I can argue later on for years to come. So yeah. the question is this, in light of what we discussed earlier about LCS, in light of actually some of the teams now that they have, I mean, Mad Lions actually one of the better teams in yeah. LEC right now without a top mid. Do you think this is, is this the split where someone can win LEC without having the best mid or one of the best mids, do you think? Uh, in Spring Split, no. There's there's no chance Mad Lions will win in Spring. And I, I love Mad Lions, you know. I, I will always support Kaiser. I'm always going to support Illyria. But right now, Rika is on the development curve that VTO was on, right? So maybe maybe they can win it in summer, but there's there's no chance. Just... I, I actually think they've they've kind of overperformed based on. I, I think they they are they are benefiting from Vitality having kind of a a, a slower start, um, and I think some miscues from Misfits, but like and. Also, I think Excel making a roster change, but it's difficult for me to believe that Mad Lions is is going to be in like third, fourth place at the end sure. of the split. But I, I will say the reason why I have hope in Mad Lions is actually I slightly disagree uh, uh, with Thorin, Thorin in that I think that you can't win Europe without a top three support because support the meta in Europe has always been support roams to mid and sometimes you can bridge. So obviously... Having a good mid laner is really, really good. Like, but I would, I would go one step further and say you need to have a, a top three mid and a top three support um, together to win the league. Has it happened where people didn't have that? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe, maybe oh, the. No, I mean, maybe the first one that Perks won yeah. where it was like hybrid or something. That might be a one off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty good rule. Well, here's yeah. the obvious question then, because the team that makes me think of immediately is: Does that mean Rogue doesn't win? Then is Trimby good enough? What do you think? I I personally think they're not going to win. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I think that what's going to happen to them? Uh, I think that fall off people, in playoffs. People will study. Yeah, I think they're going to fall off in playoffs. But people will study Marang. They'll, they'll work out what he's going to do. And I think that a lot of the they're going through a really nice honeymoon phase right now. Um, but a lot of the teams that they're against are um, teams that have his have players that historically ramp up over the course of a year. Um, humanoid okay. perks, these kind of things. I will, I would love to be proven wrong here. I, I would love to be proven because I, you know, I, I, it, it's really interesting if Rogo are able to make all those changes, and it's it will say a lot about because they change their coaching staff. They brought in extra coaching staff as well. It will say a lot about team building and coaching staff. And as a coach, you know, I want to believe that building your team correctly can lead you to championships. But until I see somebody from Rogue show me that they're good enough to win a championship, I'm not going to believe that 
I think the issue with with Malrong's style is that we have to ask ourselves the question as to why high efficiency farming or full clear junglers became the meta in the first place and like why that style uh you know was so became so prevalent around the world right and i think the problem that you run into with malrang's style is that if it starts to fail he becomes fucking useless like it, it, it the entire strategy will collapse if he's read better on some of these ganks or attempts to set his laners ahead because he'll start falling behind levels he'll start falling behind in gold and yes objective bounties exist now and perhaps can be used to catch that up but also he's not even playing a lot of champions that are particularly useful in the mid to late game um you know he's he's playing some weird picks like volibear um and those are great as long as your ganks go well and as long as the execution go well. And maybe he's some sort of god that's going to be a super unique outlier in this case. But it just seems very unlikely, given the meta, that that is true. Yeah. I mean, you can win playing that style. There have been junglers that have won, you know, playing hyper, hyper gank focus, but not. But it needs a specific type of team and it needs a specific type of meta. Um, like IG, but the burden of execution is just so much higher. Yeah, like yeah. there is very low margin for error playing that style, and if the game is switching into being even more scaling focused, yep. that is very problematic for this. Style. Yep, I, I agree. But to be clear, like if Rogue makes zero mistakes, they will win the game. Yep. I, I just, <laughs> I, look, look, man, you can build a team like that. I don't, I don't think I would do it. That's not how I would do it. I get what you mean, I get what you mean by that. You haven't scared yourself there, man. I understand what you meant by that. It's all right. <laughs> all right, John Madden, fucking hell. Shout out to the legend of John Madden. Indeed, if they actually scored more points than them in the game, they would win this match. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but, 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 you know, Vogue, the the one thing that was interest that is interesting to me though about rogue is rogue were so when you have a region it's not on the top teams to innovate right like if you're a G two or a fanatic sure you want to innovate but you it's not your responsibility to innovate if you've won all of those titles it's a responsibility of the teams below you and I think what makes a team for me at least interesting to watch is what the team that is fourth or fifth or third how they innovate and what the team that's ninth and tenth how they innovate and you know, I, I've been a little bit biased against Korea historically because I don't feel that the bottom teams do that much innovation. They no, just no, no. To be no, no, they do not. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> to be worse versions of the top teams, and and, and then Europe, NA tries to be worse versions of the worst Korean teams. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful system that we have. Yeah. But this, but this is why North America is so interesting this year because yes, it because, is much because people people have have said okay we're we're not these top teams what are we going to do how are we going to break this and all of these teams have come up with different solutions like even Dignitas right who are like most people power rank tenth they're like okay we can't compete on youth talent because youth talent like uh, there's a there's a really top uh, jungler called Kenvi uh, who's really highly rated but he just refused to go to a bottom five team because he doesn't he says he doesn't want to ruin his career I can't remember exactly what he said but he, he doesn't want to go to a bottom team so you can't even get the youth talent so what are we going to do we're going to go and look to emerging regions and no. see get the best emerging region players we can we can possibly can and see see if that works but they're trying something new but you look at a, a region like Europe 
Astralis and SK, what are they doing? What innovation is SK and Astralis doing? Do you nothing. think that, yeah, and the top, the top talent doesn't I want mean, to Astralis, go to the teams. Astralis has always been highly innovative in uh, cutting their player <laughs> and staff salaries <laughs> yes. and, and finding new ways to make themselves exactly. economically viable yeah. as a publicly just, traded company. Basically, Astralis so, is trying to make a different kind of innovation. Yeah. Astralis is always trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Shout out to you. Monty, did you just hear what he just said there? This is how bad LCS is now even an na player is like i'm not going to join if i have to join a bottom five team because that basically be the end of my career so like, you haven't had a career yet it's like exactly <laughs> around this is just this is dark now folks so, so but but it really isn't isn't that an indictment of no. the the north american gms because what what that says by the way what that says is that players have lost faith that the people making roster decisions have the ability to yes. actually tell who is good on a bad yes. team. Yes. To me, that's that's like the biggest <laughs> indictment. It's not even about the players. It's about the players can't even trust that people are competent enough to realize that they're a good player on a bad team. Well, <laughs> that that is the sad I mean, part. Look, look, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not, that's not an argument I can win because you know I. A lot of these things are have are, are long term issues, right? In North America, and it you can't rebuild that kind of trust in like a year, right? And it's just the reality that Jensen said the same thing. Um, you know, so you have like super veteran and like super rookie both say the same thing, right? So, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's just it's just how it is. But the point is that it forces you, if you are a bottom team, how are you going to find what's your answer, right? What's your answer to this? Because you, because you know you just have to find a way, uh, and you just have to not give up, right? And don't automatically accept that you're going to be tenth. And you know we may give Golden Guardians a lot of shit, but they always find a new way, right? Every single year, they always like Inero, has shoestring budget, and always manages to find something innovative, yeah, right? Finds a way. He pulls yeah. the Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but but this is the thing in Europe. Like I feel that the bottom teams in Europe, they don't. They don't care. And the reason why they don't care is not because they don't have players that are good players. It's because they they just want to copy some it's it's they just want to copy a model that already exists and say, oh, look, we're developing talent. Okay, if you're developing talent, <clears throat> how are you gonna get the next Unforgiven or Rika off Mad Lions or Rogue? I mean, they're just gonna sign for Mad Lions or Rogue. They're never gonna sign for you. So so what's your solution? And at least you know, you can complain. You can complain about Dignitas or you want, or you know, argue whether Takui should be brought in. You know, versus over North American talent, but at least they're trying something. Uh, and this is something that that this is one of the reasons that to to shift all the way back to Rogue. This is one of the reasons why I can't help but respect Rogue. Right? Like, you know, they're, they're competing. They're 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 finding ways to bring up talent and trying to find a different way to win when basically. They can't like against Fnatic. They can't outbid Fnatic, and they can't like outsign star players. But they're they're trying to do it through building rosters over years and through development, and they invest a huge amount in their their ERL team. And they're one of the few teams, Misfits and Vitality. But Misfits and Vitality are in the French league, so financial incentives are there. But like they're the only ones outside the French league who heavily invest in their ERL team. So so I can't so. I think Rogue do things the right way. I hope it brings them success, but you know they still have to win. 
And that's, that's a pretty good summary of why the bottom teams suck. Like, I, and I'm with you, mate. Like, for example, in a world where players like the NFL just want to play, like you play for anyone if you're not on a team because you need to get back in the game, you need to show yeah. people your skills. In a world where people could believe that the GMs would do their job properly, like an obvious thing you'd do in Europe, for example, is you wouldn't have those players they have in the bottom ones. You'd have like leader in one of those teams. That's the play yeah. you'd gamble on. You know, you'd try yeah. and just go, hope it's his meta and that you can just get a playoff spot or something, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, again, uh, because just because we're talking about Astralis, who Astralis gambling on? Like they they did the interview on Dayo, uh, and it doesn't sound it didn't sound in that in that video like they were super committed to him. So so what what are they doing? Like who are they? Who what's the you gamble? Know, you know what's funny about about Astralis too is that it's that they're not even. It's not just that they're not gambling in terms of players. They're not even gambling in terms of the play style. Like yep. all of the resources go into Kabe. It's like we know yep. what Kabe is. Yep. Everyone knows what Kabe. Like you, you're not going to win I a game it. by putting all your fucking resources into Kabe. It's not that Kabe is a bad player. It's like let's try maybe redistributing who is going to try and carry this game. So at least we can see if somebody else can do it, but it's like everything just goes into Kabe all the Listen, time. Kabe is the EU Uzi eye, and this is Royal Never Give Up. So you have to understand what <laughs> all roads lead to Kabe. He will carry the early, the mid game, and then, you know, probably fuck around and carry no, the team. No, no, no. Here, here, here's, 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 here's the embarrassing Kabe stat of LEC 2022 spring. Aside from that, he plays for Astralis, of course. Oh, aside from his team allegiance. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. He is second behind comp at CS after 15 minutes, right? He he takes a third of the CS. So that's going to be a damage that's going to depress the fuck on me. Come on, hit me with it. Hit me with it. Lowest damage percentage of oh. any AD carry in LEC. <sighs> second highest resource allocation, okay. lowest damage percent. Like, what is the point of doing that, Astralis? Like, why, why do you play like this? this. If you... You have to understand, Kobe is the guy that you just throw in at the gangbang at the end when everyone else, the, the main participants are there, the yeah. stud, the fucking hot woman. He's just the guy who comes in at the end. Maybe he's just in the corner at first. This scenario is like you're whining and dining him. You turn up with the fucking stretch limousine, bouquet of roses, ca champagne, caviar, on course, fucking pate, foie gras. And at the end, he just gives you a kiss on the a peck on the cheek and you just fucking go in your house. Like, what the fuck is this, Kobe? Why are you 1960s fucking date? This is garbage the min max is terrible for this but i i mean I, I will say though that historically if you've had a team that creates chaos on the rest of that <laughs> on this show people will just like go yeah i'm just i was his coach when he did go to the quarterfinals of world yeah. right? so so i do feel duty bound to defend okay, Kobe, right? <laughs> but obviously those stats are, are pretty rough right but but you know kobe has been historically in the lec somebody who is not the most insane laner but is really good team fighting if you create space he's a solid him, right? player he just can't yeah. be the, the he just can't be the star of your team like that's that's an insane proposition i mean look the i mean you, you if by star you mean you play through him at all phases of the game i agree with you right like but what you, the fuck do you mean by star then? I'll spin it back on you then, sir. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by star? I would say star, Peter, is from a metaphor to do with astronomics. <laughs> the idea that it's a thing the brightest you see. And it gives off like an effect on all things around it. And it has to say, let's say, the largest mass in this particular okay. worldview. So if you've got enough there, uh, anything that you can gag on to, then that doesn't apply to Corby at all, so, is it? He's so, a fucking so, sad character. He's not even so, the, the best Marx brother. He's like the third best one. So, 
<laughs> so for me, for me, a star of the team is is more than just your in-game performance. Okay. Right? Like, like uh, for me, a star of the team is somebody who who like you know sets your culture, who people yeah. turn to when things are going to shit. People, you know, who you can just rely on. Like when a game really matters, you just put the resources into them and they'll carry. Yes. Right? To me, that to me, that's what a star is, right? Uh, and obviously, somebody like that, you want to give them more of a say in team construction. You know, you if you want to sign a player, you maybe run run past it. I mean, I'm not saying you give them the final say on roster construction because, like, obviously, players have their own uh, have their own bias, and you know, they're friends with people. But maybe you go and say, okay, here are two players who are pretty close. Which of these guys do you think we should go? Right? You 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 involve them in that kind of decision. And what I will say about Kobe is that. There were times where on Splice that was something that was tried to be done and he wasn't interested in that. Right. So 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 when I say like Kobe for me was always like a really solid player that that I that you know I, I had a good relationship with and we we built a like a winning team together. But the way that we built a winning team with Kobe was we had counterpick support. We often played range supports. We played uh um we played like Zillion, we played Janna, we played all of these supportive styles, and we had people creating chaos on the other side of the map, which was Niski and Odo in those days. Niski, Odo, Xerxes were like where the game was played and then Kobe would just scale for free and then he would just win the team fights with the chaos that was being created around him. So for me, I find it hard to identify Kobe as a star because when I'm thinking about a star, I'm not thinking just about in-game performance. So that's why I had that like grimace on my face because hey. I'm, I'm thinking when I think of a star, I'm thinking about who is the guy who emotionally is the center of this team and carries this team. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think Kobe is that guy, and I think that you know sometimes people have expected that from him when that's not who he is. But I will say that normally yeah. he's a really good team fighter, right? I'll use this analogy specifically for Americans because obviously you're over in Yankland over there, and we can't go with the old <laughs> British one. So here's the American analogy: If Reckless is Dr Pepper, then Kobe is Mr Pip, isn't he? He's not quite as good, but it's sort of similar enough that if you haven't got Dr Pepper, I guess I'll fucking take the Mr Pip then and just make him go. I wish it was Dr Pepper, but whatever. I don't even know what Mr. Pip is. Basically, he's Poundland Reckless. There you go. Reckless. There you go. <laughs> I, I will say at Comet's peak, I think thought his team fighting was better than Reckless. Reckless fans will kill me for it. Yeah. But, but you know, like I, I thought Reckless was always better in. I thought Reckless was always better in lane. Um, but he's not better at being an LEC though, is he? Boom, boom. That's it. But but Reckless is living his like Reckless is living his life now. He's on what like half, half a million playing in the uh, playing in front of. Those crazy French fans, you go and watch the clips of 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 um yes, it's it's says this, he's already cried on stage and he's only been there about fucking a month, mate. He's already cried <laughs> really? on stage uh, uh, like, one or whatever they did like some show match or somebody you like you already like looking sad like oh but, just, like, but, back to the old but, classics. But, but, I'm here. I'm here with my beautiful climate in in LA. You know, enjoying enjoying LCS. And when I watch LFL, sometimes I wish I was coaching in LFL in front of those fans. When I go to yeah. the studio and there's like one, you know, producer in the crowd. You know, we just have nothing there. It's it's kind of sad. So so you know, Kabashad uh, didn't I, I, but, but, but at the same time, you know, I really like it's you know it's it's really in Los Angeles. Everything's so locked down. It's not like we're about yeah. to have a Super Bowl here next weekend with a stadium full of fans, but <laughs> can't yeah. put people in the LCS studio for reasons unknown. Yeah. Like can can we have a can we have a crowd at LEC? No. Can we have 
uh, for like tens of thousands of people watching Reckless in the French League? Yes. I like I I literally I cannot for the life of me understand how in Los Angeles we are about to have a fucking Super Bowl. You can't get PCs and put them 1.5 meters aside from each other and then just talk on TeamSpeak. But you can, Monty, just run up and grab a man, smash him onto the floor, maybe even spit in his face accidentally, and just, and just run back down the other end and then all just jump in a big bath together yeah. as they all do when they win. That's still a thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think that was a massive debuff on G2, no, last year? They they all talked about how they, how they missed the crowd and things like this, so... So, so we kind of have to see, but like, well, I, I just want to understand what, what existence <laughs> like Riot is in right now, because it's not stopping even other, even their own games from having crowds like we saw with the, with these like French show matches. And it's certainly there, there are no restrictions against this in the United States right now. Like yeah. there are none. I personally suspect, I mean, if you want to do a quick sidebar of this, I would say, Monty, it makes me question, if you remember, we did a Four Horsemen episode of it, the whole thing they had in Valorant where they tried to make it a LAN and then it ended up not being a LAN and they had all this drama as to like some people played in the hotel room and then some people played in the like arena or whatever. And if you notice, that was so badly executed. It makes me wonder if Riot themselves have just decided for whatever reason they're not going to risk any like PR angle on it going badly because I agree, there's no reason not to do it. Like I'll tell you what, if people know in Counter-Strike, over in Europe in Counter-Strike, we had tons of lands at the end of last year because once people realized it was possible everyone tried to do one yeah and it's also it's also i mean you can put whatever restrictions on entry you want in los angeles to go to concerts or sporting events you either have to have proof of vaccination or a negative covid test and they don't give a shit which one it is uh, you know a negative covid test in the last 24 hours these are the requirements in fact i've been to events here where they literally have covid testing on site so that you can get a negative result before walking in you know, so it, I mean, it, it, they figured it out like they, they've they've cracked it here more or less. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I at this point, I have to assume that the actual reason is not the negative PR. It's simply that it is less expensive to run these events without players yes, there. For sure. Which, which, by the way, as somebody who does organize tournaments, that is true. That is the truth. Like if, if you don't have fans or you don't have players on site and they have started return players on site. So yeah. that actually increases expenses because the expenses are player handlers have to be there. And mostly it's about the freelance broadcast crew that they hired. Like it requires additional camera people to be there to, to get the shots of the players and everything like that. So you're paying money that you wouldn't necessarily pay otherwise. So I actually think that that was probably, if I had to guess, the primary motivator for not having people in studio and not having an audience is that it does generate additional expenses. So actually, Monday, the kind of question, I, uh, can I just ask a quick question on that? Um, yeah. Do is, is the difference between having people in studio without fans and studio with fans that large? Uh, with the, I'm, I'm talking with, the, okay. if the players are still on site, the answer is probably no. Okay. Because the real expense is having the additional camera people to uh, cover okay. the players if the players are on site as opposed to having the players remote. Okay. I think there probably is additional expense in terms of people that they hire who are not full-time employees that they hire to like bring the crowds in or run the concessions, the, the very small concessions. Okay. LCS. I would imagine that cost is negligible. Okay. Um, so as long as the players are on site, I can't imagine it's that much of a cost okay. difference. Because I know in Germany, like <clears throat> everything's still pretty hard locked down, but yeah, in 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 LA, I don't know the legal rules or anything, but it, there are none. Yeah, and and also, by the way, there never were. 
in Los Angeles. In fact, from the very beginning of the pandemic, and you can argue the wisdom of doing this. I'm just telling you pre just from a from a purely legal perspective, live broadcasts were always exempted. They were always exempted. I mean, Thorne and I, like TV, Thorne and yeah. I ran Flashpoint One at the start of the pandemic, and we were never shut down because we were a live broadcast. And yes, we had to cut a bunch of crew. We had to remove players from on site, and we did it with talent only on site. And you know, we there were tons of precautions that we took, but it was still. My point is, it was still possible to do a studio show with talent even at that time. There was never a restriction on that in Los Angeles. Okay, interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I, I I can't remember how we got here, but yeah, I, I just just. I, no, we were I, talking I about like the, the effective crowds <laughs> and like everything like that. But an angle we can spin back in if we want to talk about LEC okay. again. What I'll say is this: here's the narrative for me, because obviously now inspired the MVPs left Rogue Hansama, the longtime player everyone used to think was the most reliable players and the best international performers left. Here's what I'm going to say: the storyline for Rogue is this split. If you guys don't win a fucking championship on this split, you have had now, this will be the fourth split in a row where you are winning the most games out of every team in the league. You've got to eventually convert this into a fucking trophy. Like, I don't know if you know the concept from sports of a window, but like the window doesn't last like 10 splits in a row. Like if you are winning the most games in the regular season, you are on paper supposed to be the best team in the league. So you have to eventually convert because at this point, I've now seen every style of play from these motherfuckers. I've seen oh, totally different players swapped in and out. So there's only a couple remain. Like eventually the coaching staff have to take some of this on the fucking chin because so far they seem to nail in the split what like the strengths of the team are, but they seem to be really bad at like adapting when they get to like people figuring them out. They don't seem like they're good at adjustments, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. Like, I, I mean, again, as I was saying earlier, I, I hope they manage to do it. Um, if Mad Lions, obviously, I always cheer for Mad Lions, but if Mad Lions can't do it, like, I hope we're we'll able to do it. But, you know, there's just, just new Rocks Tigers, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they will get to go to Worlds every year. They will get to go to Worlds every year if they keep playing like this, though. So, you know, maybe that's good. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I have to say, too, the, the reinvention of Rogue, like, it was first a reinvention of their style last year, and now it's just been a reinvention of their roster and their style. Like, they they just completely 180'd. And it, uh, you know, what does it take for these guys to actually win a title? I mean, they should have won last year. They absolutely mega threw in game five versus Mad Lions. Like that <laughs> Mad Lions should not have won. Let's be very clear. That was one of the most egregious like championship wins in League of Legends history because it took such an epic throw for them to lose that that is that is heartbreaking it, for Rogue. You know, it's, normally, Monty, players will never ever let you say like it was a fluke that they won or whatever. When we had armor on the crackdown, he essentially like I tried to come at him like, you know, you were like down 2-0, you were doing shit in that series. You just saw like, yeah, we were. I just I can't believe that everybody's like, wow, Mad Lion's so good. It's like all they had to do was it was catch the million throws yes. throughout that series, and especially in that game five. It was heinous. The way like I would be embarrassed to win like that. Like Mad Lions, <laughs> Mad Lions just should have just like hung their heads in shame and walked off the fucking stage and been like <laughs> I mean, Inspired hasn't forgotten it. I can tell you that Inspired hasn't forgotten it, for sure. I will say, though, Mad Lions in summer were pretty good. But, like, in spring, in mm -hmm. spring, for sure. Like, I mean, it was, spring like, finals but, was, a, was a fucking tragedy, dude. I, mean, I was I, so I, offended. I mean, I, I was I was cheering for Mad Lions all the way, obviously. But, like, uh, but yeah, uh, the... Uh, 
the jungle ins that happened. Oh my god! By the way, there's even a more serious reason I bring this up. Is if you are the, I'll tell you, I've seen teams that have had this problem in history. Like in Counter Strike, for example, there was a team called Team Liquid who very famously would be one of the elite teams in the world, but they would somehow chalk away all the big moments. They wouldn't win the equivalent of worlds, etc. And I can tell you what happens if you're in those teams is first few times it happens. You know, it's like some people think, oh, maybe he's the guy who's choking, or maybe like, oh, it was just a bad game, or you know, we're still learning. What happens is eventually, if you're the players that remain and you were the through line so Larson is an obvious example here you're, you actually start to feel eventually like you're cursed you just start to think oh, I'm just never going to win it. and it can become a really negative mindset to have unfortunately yeah, yeah I mean it's, it's rough for Larson because obviously in his first split when they made playoffs for the first time he he had that uh, series deciding. One, right? No, it was the it was the corky one where he packaged into the fabric. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and like every single time now, when whenever he's it's a really close series or something, some someone will always bring it up, right? Oh, and it's yeah. it's I mean it's it sucks for him, right? But it's just like people just remember the first time, right? And then you until he wins, he's going to have that narrative yes. behind him. So yes. it just sucks. I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh yeah but 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 i mean for, for for lec like there there are clearly a few teams that that want to that they're trying really really hard to win you know and even my problem with lec this year is that i don't feel that every team is trying to win but you know i, I may not have liked you know what excel did with with advian for instance but at least i can see that they're trying something right like so so, but I don't think every team in I don't think every every team in LFC is trying, and that's not an insult to the players that are playing on those teams. I think it's just how the strategy, right, the long term strategy. It's just crazy also, because also thematically quite a good setup that Larson's the one who has to get the monkey off his back because if it hadn't have been for Wukong, he would be a champion. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Monty, it only took until 2022. A totally safe monkey related player, Joe. We've all learned, we've all leveled up over the years. We've, we've done it, up. we've done it. No <laughs> way that could be missed. Uh, totally <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, but I, I completely agree. And it's uh, you know, teams at Worlds were banning Wukong, it's the same teams at Worlds were banning Heimendinger, and I've had a series where I didn't ban Hyun and Heimendinger and gave it to G2 multiple times. So, you know, uh, I, it, it sucks. But, but yeah, uh, like Vogue have a good, like are looking really, really strong. Um, I think their, their style is higher risk in playoffs, but, you know, good luck to them. Like, I, I hope if it's not now, you know, Vitality and Fnatic and Mad Lions are coming for you in summer. So best make it now before they're ready. All right, let's do viewer questions. How about that? <laughs> Yes, do it. All right. Viewer questions. Grogcoin channel on the, the Insight on Esports Discord. There's instructions pinned in the Grogcoin Lounge if you want to be able to ask questions. We're not going to answer all of them, but I want Peter to answer questions about classic I'm... literature. So here he goes. <laughs> <laughs> First, though, Monty, did it hurt your feelings when your friend started a show called Best Damn League Show Without You? This is a safe space. We won't make fun of you if you tell us you cried. Uh, no, it's actually uh, from the Best Damn Sports Show, which was a great show back in the day. But why did you pick that name, Thorne? What was the throwback to the Best Damn Sports Show? I didn't pick it. That was just Dom's joke and name because we were trying to come up with names. And one thing I think is actually pretty whack is with 
the exception of Summoning Insight, where like I was actually the first to come up with that angle. Everyone always just does names that are related to things within League of Legends, the mechanics yeah. or the lore or whatever. And if you notice, there's not that many that are left that you can really do. So since it's an LEC show, the premise was we just decided to essentially just flex like the personalities of the show. So the idea is we took that name because first of all, it was a great name for a show. It's just that the show itself is dog shit, if you remember. It was the most like pandering, low fucking brow humour imaginable. It was just whack as fuck. Basically, it was like something Travis Gafford would do. Whatever, I don't give a fight fuck, mate. It's 2022. <laughs> Somebody inside already exists because Travis sucks. If you don't know your history, go back and check. The pilot episode was just me coming on Who's League. Is look, look, all I'm going to say <laughs> is Travis being terrible has actually created very yeah. many good things in the world. So exactly. God bless him. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the point is, like, Dom just said that it's a good name, and I think it is. And also, I just like the idea that even though we're not really saying it, it does just make it sound like we're saying all the other shows are shit. So <laughs> pretty good, isn't it? All right. Uh, this was a question about Dostoy. We had a question about Dostoyevsky on the last one and wants to ask for Monty and Thorin's opinions on one of my favorite books, A Hero of Our Time by Lermontov, if you've read it. I have not read it. If not, please recommend any classic for a book recommendation. So what have you read it? A Hero of Our Time? Peter Dunn. No, I, I used to I used to be a, an avid reader, but that was a decade ago. I'm, I'm afraid so. Well, what, I, what I is know. what is your classic novel recommendation? Can I be really boring? I like I like more lighter things like Pride and Prejudice. Um, so I I, I personally I personally <laughs> love that you love Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, for me, I like I like light-hearted political satire, but it has to be like slightly biting. Uh, so so that's kind of why I like I like that kind. Of. <laughs> I, I think I think it's very telling about your character that you like Brian Prejudice. There's nothing wrong with that. I find it delightful. It's like an anime fucking slice of life, you can't. What, what are you talking about? Brian Prejudice, you're actually recommending it. You're not even like a TV show. Peter loves Mr. Darcy, okay? <laughs> we all like different things. I like that he likes it. He's, 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 a true, he's a true romantic. He's a true romantic. And he, he enjoys very stoic and distant yet surprisingly kind-hearted British man once you get to know them. I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, th that one was deserved. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> I like it. All right, Dora, do you have a quick classic when, book When they say classic, like, what? how how far back are we, like, are we putting a cutoff in terms of, like, year? Like, what year? Are they wanting it to be something from, like, the 19th century or something? I don't know. Pick a Russian book, man. This is a Russian book. I mean, I don't give a fuck about that. I would just say like 1984, George Orwell. Can't really great. go wrong with that. Not least because it would be great if people read it so that everyone who hasn't read it could stop making analogies that don't make any sense in the context <laughs> of the novel and just saying everything they don't like is 1984 and just completely misapplying it usually to the wrong political fucking side. So it'd be great if you all just read it and then gave the reference away. You know, it'd be nice. And also, if people don't know, essentially the joke is, if you know anything about sort of how like woke culture is now, there's so much of that in that book where the premise is it's not enough that you even like don't say the thing that's bad you must actively love the people who oppress and, and tyrannize you you must say exactly what they want and then worse than that you must actually believe it and truly love them that is the sort of fucking tyranny that we face ideologically in this <laughs> age and <laughs> very very good uh i would say <laughs> I've, I've mentioned this before i like modernist russian literature bulgakov master margarita one of my favorites pelyevin but his little finger uh these are Russian books that I enjoy. Obviously, I cannot read them in Russian. 
Um, imagine a scenario in LOL in which each year the world's winners play against the super teams that consist of the best players in every role. These all-stars may be individually best in their positions by certain metrics, but may lack synergy with one another. Yes, as many all-star teams are. How often would the super teams beat the actual world champions? Duplicate players are allowed, so we can clone the players. Faker versus Faker. And the problem with that, right, is it sounds like a great question. But if anything, from watching all these years of League of Legends, not only are super teams incredibly underwhelming in most cases, but whoever wins Worlds, it doesn't matter how good the players are. Usually it's just the team that has the best style for that meta. Like it's actually So sadly, I imagine no matter how stacked you could make, like the LPL one would be incredible, obviously, especially if you can have duplicates. You can have like Knight. You can, you can have the most bonkers team ever. The problem is, I suspect the Worlds winner would probably still win the, win the match quite handedly, you know. May, Peter, maybe Peter the, has to, Peter has to believe that, otherwise he doesn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think EDG EDG this year were the first, were the closest I think we've ever got to to one team being having like objectively close Pretty to the best players. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, yeah, fucking nuts, wasn't it? Like, like the only the only player that I think wouldn't fit there was JJ, and JJ was just insane at that once. So yeah, he stumbled so, up, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So. That's actually why it's such a cool storyline that they won. I mean, it's so sad that sadly the rest of the tournament was set up that like there was almost a TPA, like bloody hell, oh, they won. Well, we didn't even spend any time on their narrative shit. Like they threw the script out the window. But I will say, like, I just thought that angle itself was good. Like almost every single player on that team was really fucking good. They all deserved to win. Yep. No, I agree. Especially Philandre after all those years. Uh, what are your funniest slash most memorable first impressions with esports pros slash people? I mean, I've told this story before, but when I met Expecte's mom, she slapped me and then hugged me, which is a very confusing experience that I had. It's some Spanish, like, you know, fucking Latin blood <laughs> she shit. She literally walked up to me, slapped me, and then gave me a hug. So, like, that was definitely the most memorable. <laughs> Basically, she gave you the Reginald in TSM experience in about five seconds, just condensed the whole thing. <laughs> and 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 just like uh re, you know the people reginald interact with i still kind of like her because of it so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have you guys had any memorable first impressions i mean for, for me the jojo Pian thing still packs up <laughs> he doesn't know like he literally doesn't know what a champion does uh my 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 kind of first impression is he never played leblanc before um we needed to play it on stage uh, it was the first time I was helping out Academy, and he was just like, "You can pick it for me on stage." Just we were in Champion Select, just get and things were being remote, and he was just like, "Oh, I just need to quickly check three Chovy vods, and I'll be fine, and we can just play." It. And that was the first time I'd ever helped Academy, and I was like, "Holy shit, who's this guy?" Um, so, so yeah, so that's my that's my uh, my first impression. <laughs> Uh, the problem is I'm trying to think in league. I haven't had that made up with that sick, really. Like, I'll, t I'll give you one, just because it's one that I've never told this story. When I did, way back in the day, when I worked with On Gamers at the end of 2013, I did, actually, it's when I started my Reflection series, because basically I used to do a series called Grilled, and I just gave that name to the people I worked for at the time, because technically, if you don't know what esports contracts, you usually say, like, you know, whatever you create intellectually is owned by the company that pays you the money you send. So even though they probably would never take me to court, I thought, I'll just take the same series, I'll just rebrand it. So I made it Reflections, and one of the first 
first ones I did was with the infamous I'm a cutie pie. But before he'd become like the biggest streamer in league, if you remember at one point, like a year or two later, he was enormous. So this was just when he was still on Dignitas and I think he just started streaming maybe. And if people don't know, one of the interesting things about cutie pie is he might be one of the few people ever where if you ever hear that story of like, oh, someone divorced him and then took half their money. It's like, in his case, they deserve half the money. Because this motherfucker didn't set anything in his life up. Didn't even know like streaming should be a thing. His, like essentially his girlfriend, I think later became his wife, just did it all. She even literally con like got my Skype from someone, just added me. And I was like, who the fuck is this? And was just like, would you like to do an interview with I'm a cutie pal? I was like, I mean, I guess. Like, when, when's he going to be there? And he was at this, like, the Battle of the Atlantic World where it was in, in Europe at, like, the Cologne Studios of ESL. And she set the whole thing up. He just basically was told to turn up. I think he even lost the bloody game because I think he lost to, like, Alliance. By the way, do you know how rare that is? When players lose the game, they typically go, like, they cancel the interviews. Like, oh, I don't want to do an interview now. He didn't give a flying fuck because that is I'm a cutie pie's personality. And he was somewhere where he, like, I could tell literally not, he hadn't set any of it up. They just told him where to go, at what time, sit in this chair. And the joke was, it was one of these people people where nothing changed from before the camera started rolling to when the camera began rolling to when the camera ended like it was just the same guy it didn't look like he put any sort of a persona on him whatsoever he just reacted like some sort of an animal on instinct to like external stimuli just said a bunch of mega mad shit in the interview and then just left after that I remember just thinking who the fuck even is this guy what the hell was that it was like some fucking it was like some like Andy Kaufman level like method is this a prank or something who the fuck is this guy so I remember just thinking it's ridiculous what a ridiculous human being what a ridiculous <laughs> he and is very funny though noise from on camera i'll just give you a little bit of insight yeah his personal hygiene wasn't of the highest standard <laughs> shocking <laughs> what do you know guys what do you know what I'm gonna say is, his girlfriend slash fiance slash wife, she was a fucking saint man i don't she had some insane patience <laughs> she was on her last tick of patience like that fucking blue <laughs> bring it all back right there to the you beginning. go <laughs> Uh, what have each of you done over the course of your careers to hone your on-camera skill set? Uh, been on camera a million times, watched it back, seen myself. Uh, I started acting when I was eight and did theater for 15 years before I stopped. So that helped as well, even though I did live theater, not uh, film. So. My secret was, it's called reps. What I did was do a thousand shows more than anywhere else in the history of the entire business. So they can, they can all, you know, they don't even have to all be good. Just catch up. You let me know when you get that thousand of the about guys. You know, you know what's funny about it's the hardest Monty, believe it or not. That's the thing with talk shows, you know, you know, what's funny is uh, in terms of reps is that it wouldn't surprise me if I still have cast more League of Legends games than any LCS caster because they cast like three games a week. And they're in 2014 alone. I was casting 10 best of threes every single week. And so just the sheer volume of games I did in my time of League of Legends being in Korea, I think probably is still way up there. And it's like people are like, wow, I wonder how the LPL casters got so good so quickly. It's because they're doing that a million games. Yeah. Plus, the LCS is almost getting to the existential philosopher's question. Like, if they cast a game, but there's no one there to hear it, did they, in fact, even cast or play the game? That's sort of the quandary that Rocket's in at this point in time. But no, enjoy the league, Peter. It's great. The locking tournament, it's a great initiative. Yeah, so. I call it Riff Rivals Junior Domestic Edition, but that's just me. That's just me. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't have to defend Lockin. <laughs> 
I have a mean question. Uh, I would argue that having a highly capable host for a variety of talk shows that also happens to be one of the foremost experts on the history of the scene and a living bastion of its institutional memory is one of the biggest things the league scene has going for it. With that said, do you look forward to Doublelift's up and coming talk shows by the numbers with Doublelift and the Joe Rogan experience with Doublelift? Well, first of all, I will say this. That's a good joke, right? But already, if you saw... This is where people like Doublelift are proof that no amount of money and resources can actually make you good. Because he has infinite money in sponsorship, right? And he doesn't even have someone who showed him how to just put the box and crop it so that the outside of the box doesn't flash when you're talking like now. And it just shows on the cameras really. You know, yeah, they all the scoffed fucking Skype set up from like 2013, but it's 2022, Doublelift. You have more money than God, son. Like just hire someone who shows you how to set it up. And then the other thing is this, right? As much as you joke there, Monty, like... They, obviously, they're going like off the Joe Rogan experience. Remember, and I will say, this is Richard Rath, Rich Rath's formerly HUK and Rich's joke, but he did bring it up the other day on Twitter. Remember, unironically, Jack did name his podcast the Joshua Lee's or whatever. The, the, the Josh Lee's bit experience, yeah. He actually did. He actually did. And all I can tell you is, from being friends with Alfari, he actually says the Joshua Lee's experience is not, <laughs> not as good as you'd expect. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> There All we right. go. I'm trying to set that off. Sure. Right. Trying to set that one off. Regarding the C9 LOL team, can you give us a percentage <laughs> estimation on this thing succeeding? It seems so, so incredibly bold to me. Culture clash, clicks forming, LS being LS, huge skill or reputation gaps between players, all this without an experienced man-managing coach. Uh, so, like, personality manager. Uh, don't get Just me wrong. Shit the way through in LS being LS. Like. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> okay. I mean, in LS's previous coaching stints, that has been somewhat of an issue, I think. Right. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm cheering for them above any other team but it feels like trying to bring three koreans into a team with blabber and off-roll fudge sounds rather scary to me um i personally yeah, enjoy I, the fact that on top of all of that that he's trying all those plates he's trying to spin monty ls because he genuinely is just like that quote from blade some motherfuckers always trying to ice skittle pill he thought you know what and as a side project just bring malice into the academy team i'll probably handle that as well like mate are you are you actually trying to make you either are going to win worlds or it's going to be the worst fucking gig of all time like there's no there's no middle ground on this one is he you have to set the expectations too mental I also think that it it's not fair to LS to categorize coaching experiences he had many years ago with when he was significantly younger than he is right now with uh, who he is at the current time, which, in my opinion, is a much more mature individual than when I knew him back then. So I think like. So far, it looks good. I, I'm enjoying watching these games. I'm enjoying watching some of his theories play out. And it's been it's been, frankly, very fun to watch. So. I think the average, the players that have been selected seem to be super strong. Berserker is exceeding expectations. Summit, I'm sure, will find will find his groove. It looks like he's enabling a play style that naturally fits with players like Blabber. I would say we, we're two games in. It's going well. It's a long year, right? It's my problem. Success. Sorry. This is my problem. My problem is this. It's exactly the player you mentioned. It's Blabber, Right. If anything, LS is the player who'd love to have inspired. That's his sort of a job. That is true. 
Blabber, like, listen, I'm just waiting for the moment that he breaks LS because he's going to break LS's brain at some point in time, the players he is going for. He is not trying to do up for the most perfect, efficient player. So, I, listen, that might work for a while. I'm just waiting for when it snaps him, though, when he just... Because if you haven't noticed with Blabber, like, essentially, if you're going to have Blabber on your team, you just have to, you have to build the game around him. There's no point trying to change him at this point yep. in time. He's got really good strengths in a certain sense, but I, I just feel as though that's the one player I feel like is a mismatch. Against. I get why Cloud9 kept him, but for me, that's the mismatch. The rest of the team makes a lot of sense in terms of what LS wants to do and people he's always thought were underrated but that's the one dynamic and by the way if he turns it around it makes it awesome props to him for coaching well yeah it depends what you define success if it's going towards pretty high like 80 something like this but if you're talking about what he himself defined as success which is winning both splits getting out of group stage at MSI going to world semi-finals like I mean, like, like 5% for that. But like, if you're talking about going towards with this roster, when he has mechanically really, really strong players like this in a region that typically doesn't, you know, and scaling in a region, which typically doesn't play early game well, I think, you know, he's got a decent chance of going towards, I'd say like 80 at least. I mean, everything is easy when you're winning, right? Like if, if you, if you start losing, these problems are only problems if you start losing. But if you if you're winning, they're not problems. I, I think also he brings a much different mindset and skill set as a coach, obviously, is like, you know, he he has spent to his credit, he has spent so much time invested in his own game theory that he can do things like tell his players how to play Ivern mid, which is weird. Right. Yep. So he gives inherent advantages in the LS style that are very, very cool. Uh, mm -hmm. so I'm excited. I'm excited about what he brings. Very excited. Um, whether he can live up to his own lofty expectations, I, I think that's probably difficult given the fact that he's coaching from NA. If he, if he had the buy-in of the T1 roster when he could have gotten it, it may have been a different story. Um, but apparently the fans won that battle for whatever reason. And <laughs> yeah, uh, what is the least favorite champion as a player slash viewer? You mean? Okay, go on, Peter, you have to do this first. Shaco, 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 Shaco. I mean, like, that's my perma ban when, when, you know, at least these days you get to, like, ban a champion no matter which role you're in. But back in the day, only the first person in champion select right. could could select. And when I was playing my Janet top and the enemy team has Shaco, you just don't like the game. So, As a, as a professional <laughs> coach, though, which, which is your, in the professional scene, which is your least favorite champion that exists? Uh, Aphelios. Uh, I think Aphelios added yeah. too much complexity into the game for not much. Like, it's not fun to... It's fun to play, but it's not fun to play against. It adds too much visual complexity. It's not fun to watch, I'll tell you that. It's just fucking yeah. confusing Yeah, for, so, for most people because he does 12 different things and it's difficult to know which of those 12 things he's going to do as a casual fan, I think. Yep, yeah, I agree. So... Well, yeah. Was the premise supposed to be that it's just, in general, our least favorite champion? Because it was supposed to be like based on us playing off from the pro scene. Yeah, least favorite champion as a player slash viewer. Oh, as it, the problem is it'd be different. Like as a player, course, yeah. I fucking hate the Ilau just because I've noticed Lally. if you're if you're at a low, if you're at a low enough level, you can never win if you, it's on the other team because all the other players on your team will have no clue how to play against it, and they will just stand under those tentacles, getting their head smashed in the whole time. And you can even type to them a million times like how to stay. They never will understand, and they will always think that the health bar is low, and they'll be go fucking ham on it. So I, that's just the one where like the joke is like I even would just like ban it off my own team if I'm like the first pick. And 
then they like saw Lamarty once speaking like uh, unless you and that's how I believe in you. I don't nah, I hate that champion. But, so, but the problem is it's not really used in pro play. In pro play, let me think, what is the worst one? I have to just say some dog shit like Malzahar. Like anytime that's in a game, it's like this is not gonna be a fucking fun game. Like it either wins, in which case the game's garbage, or it loses, in which case why, why is this guy being put on Malzahar? What the fuck is this shit? You know? I, I love that Malzahar is just the crutch that bad mid laners can use to neutralize a star player. Like that is just a lame experience at the professional level. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, final question. Now that the great evil has finally retired, what will be the new go-to lazy mindless narrative that mediocre NFL fans and pundits spew since they no longer have Tom Brady and his devil magic <laughs> to gush over? Oh, I already know what it is because you've seen it already. No, no, what it will be is Joe Burrow is the best example. Anytime there's a young quarterback who shows some promise, they'll just immediately be like, he's already there. Look, he's already like the fucking best and the second best. Like, they always do it, mate. Like, by the way, it's the equivalent of what people do in league with like the next best ERL mate or whatever. They're never just going to be good. They're always like instantly going to take over the whole fucking league or whatever. It's like, mate, those players that do that are like once in a generation players. You get a handful of those in like 10 years. So sadly in the NFL, especially like the joke is, the only reason it's considered a quarterback league is the only fucking position anyone looks at as far as I can tell they don't look at how good your team is and all the fucking other elements of the game do they like let's be real Joe Burrow might actually win the Super Bowl he's not even vaguely a top two or three fucking quarterback in the league you could probably argue that like fucking Justin Herbert's better than him just has a worse team than me <laughs> what do you want yeah. I, the, the Joe Burrow I think thing is going to be absolutely insufferable if he's, he's a good player but you know he's oh, very he's a fucking sure. monster is he uh, he's, he's especially a you know a promising young player, but I think the Bengals are incredibly lucky to have gotten as far as they do, and I, I also think every game I also think that I also think that that matchup against the Rams is frankly fucking terrible for the They're Bengals because the man. Bengals don't have an offensive line, and the pass rush from the Rams is brutal. No, like Aaron Donald is just going to put. Joe Burrow on his ass all day if if the Rams are actually on form. So I don't you want, do you want the joke though? Because I'll do it, Monty. I'll still find a way to trigger it in all the Tom Brady fans. Right? Here's the thing, Monty. Plus, I think it's really disrespectful that people are acting, Monty, like only two years into the league, you can compare Joe Burrow to Tom Brady. How dare you compare him? <laughs> Tom Brady wasn't even a relevant quarterback the first two years. Boom! There we go. Ali's out. Ali's out. Ali's out. That's how you do it. You see how the old switcheroo. Always going to be my trademark move. Always yeah, the just, trademark. Just remember, guys, Tom, Tom, Tom Brady only got a shot because Drew Bledsoe got fucking injured. You know, that it, it was kind of a fluke fluke thing that started the the whole Tom Brady. It's pretty mad. Like, you know, the fucking Domino's meme. It's like Drew Bledsoe gets injured. That's it. The first Domino. It's like a guy wins seven rings and has to be the best ever. Like, oh, fucking nightmare. <laughs> go back in time and just be like, Drew, just take it easy, bro. You know, this next game is fucking, you know. <laughs> Too funny. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you for joining us for our very long show, Peter Dunn. It's been delightful to hear uh, all of your opinions. Yep. Thank you for having me.